Hello, and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host, Neve, and I am joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hey. And uh, today, we are covering episodes 20 through 25 of Mobile Suit Gundam, Iron Blooded Orphans. This is the uh, finale of the first season. Uh, season two came later, so... Um, do we want to get straight into this, into the synopses or do you have any initial reactions you want to say? Um, I, these, I thought these episodes were really, uh, were, were really good. Um, especially the last few, um, yeah. brutal, but really good. And I think there's a lot to talk about. So I'm excited. Yeah. I still think my favorite run of episodes was the ones that like ended on episode 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that, yeah, that section that, um, you know, we got the whole funeral and everything. Um, I think that's like some of my favorite episodes from at least the, the first season. Um, but I do think that, uh, you made me understand a little bit when I was talking about last time of like, there's some like setup happening here for the finale where the episodes feel a little bit weaker, but also there's like, like I can't really talk about what's happening with Ayn yet, you know, in those episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know? um, yeah. There, there was just no way that, that we could have a productive conversation at that point. Yeah. Knowing we're, now, like what happens. We're still at a point where we can talk a little bit about McGillis, but like there's yeah, still stuff about to. McGillis that is, uh, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like McGillis is still kind of a, an unknown uh, factor in all of this. Uh, we have a little bit of a clearer sense of like his specific plans, but you know, for somebody who last time said, if you know someone's past, then you can predict their future uh, actions. We still have not really gotten his past. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're finally at a point now where we can, yeah, like you said, we can talk about McGillis uh, I think there's a certain amount that we can like, I I know what we can't talk about and, and I know what we can. Uh, and those are like both substantial percentages as opposed to like before it's just like, we have, you know, we're not yeah. prepared. So I, I intend uh, to talk about McGillis on this one. Okay. Cause I think uh, we get, get some development there. Yeah. Also, do you have uh, preferences on, on which episodes you want to do synopses for? Um, um, I'll just, we can do it like you have it now. So you'll go first and then I'll go after. Okay. Yeah. I just had pulled in the, the template from our previous, I always just like take our previous episode and then edit it. Um, the previous notes. So, um, I didn't even think about changing the, who's doing the synopses, but it's fine. Um, oh, breakdown. I think probably my, in my opinion, we should do 20 through 22. And oh, then yeah. we can do probably um, 23 through 25. Okay. Yeah, like two, three episode chunks. Yep. Um, oh, I'm also going to copy this place where I put TKTK. Um, so this time I uh, once again had to rely on, I think it's like an Adult Swim related blog that when it was airing there, they uh, did, oh, I don't want it huge like that. Uh, they, they did like a week by week, uh, episode summary and, uh, review. And I pulled from them, uh, once again, uh, this time 
I didn't change too much from like the first four. I did take out some like extensive editorializing and I tried to fill in a little bit where um I felt like editorializing. The... Yeah, well and also <laughs> like where I felt like the reviewer just like doesn't have any care like doesn't care at all when people are actually talking about what it is that they care about. Um you know like yeah. espousing their particular points of view, all that stuff kind of gets like sanded over by this reviewer who, who is very clearly, uh, especially towards the end, admitting to just like, I only really care about the, the, the boom fights. booms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's cool when the fights are good. Um, and says, uh, specifically that biscuits, like the only character in the entire show that they care about, which is wild to me. <laughs> huh? Um, I like Biscuit, but like, there's so many other interesting characters in the show. Um, yeah, that's a anyway. pretty odd sentiment. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, like I like Biscuit too, but weird. I don't yeah. know how you can watch all the way through the show and like only be moved by <laughs> Biscuit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that his name is Biscuit is making this sound funnier, but I mean, Biscuit is a good character. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not laughing at Biscuit. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's very Biscuit's story ends very tragically here. Um, but like, I'm. It's just I'm laughing at the absurdity of like I'm trying to imagine myself have it like being in that position of the like the reviewer where I just am like completely unmoved. But uh, yeah, anyway, the absurdity yeah. of that is like making me laugh. Um, anyway, for, for 24 and 25, I tried a different method. Uh, those are the last two episodes that I watched like at the same time, um, where normally I'm biking when I watch. Um, and that day I wasn't able to bike, uh, just like various stuff. I didn't have enough time to like shower afterwards, basically, uh, because of ways that meetings were shaking out. And so I just sat down and I was watching and I was just like typing up. Uh, and sometimes it was just like the vein, like the stuff that I would jot in, uh, my little handwritten one. Um, but I was just trying to type it up and I was trying to be like more thorough and just making little notes. And then I like expanded on stuff where, um, you know, I like just vaguely said something. So those ones are, were written by me, but also more hastily than like when I did the, uh, Utena synopses or the, the rare synopses. We won't judge um, you. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's get into it. Um, so, Episode 20, uh, title of this one is Brother. So, having finally made it to Earth, Tekadon uh, begins unloading their supplies on the shore uh, and, you know, trying to prepare their next move. Uh, at this moment, they are sort of unexpectedly approached by one of their contacts on Earth, Makanai, um, who I think we, like, briefly saw in the last few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And... Uh, he arranges a more formal meeting with them um, and then also gives this gift of fish. Uh, there's this great scene of the the pot with the fish and everyone's confused about it. Um, and I, Kudeli is the one that's like, oh, it's fish. You eat it. <laughs> um, <and we> get, <laughs> I know because I'm rich. Yeah. And we get multiple scenes throughout this of like people being uh, have, have never had actual meat before. And so uh, are having like are eating fish and are being like looking at like and it served in the way where like the eye is there and stuff too when it's cooked mm-hmm. so um you know a, a lot of the the members of Tekadon find uh fish bizarre they've never had it before 
um, and are kind of in a in a way that feels uh, true of little boys <laughs> in the yeah. way that many of them still are are just like being very picky about it. Um, anyway, um, while this is happening, uh, Galileo uh, is basically there at uh, Ayn's bedside. Ayn's like in a the I guess the um, his tank side. Yeah, he he's like the IBO equivalent of the Bacta tank from Star Wars, but you're like <laughs> laying down, you know, in it instead yeah. of standing up. But there's like, you know, I feel like he's Ein's in some sort of fluid, and there's all these things hooked up to him and stuff. Um, and unlike a Bacta tank, it's just not just like magically healing him. So, um, and he is desperately pleading with the doctor uh, to somehow, you know, save Ein, fix his injuries. Um, which seem to be like potentially fatal or are very severe. Um, and Ayn is just like comatose during this. Um, we also get, uh, McGillis on, uh, like talking over monitor, uh, telling Galileo the, the solution to save Ayn is to do the Alea Vignana system. Um, and Galileo obviously objects because this is inhuman. I couldn't do this to Ian. I respect him too much. All of that. Um, back on Earth, Biscuit, Orga, Cudelia, and Maribit meet up with Machinai to discuss how to proceed. Uh, we learn that the Oceanin, uh, the Oceanin Federation. That's that yeah. feels weird to say, but yeah, Oceanian. Uh, Oceanian. Yeah, Oceanian. I want to say like oceanic. But I think that's what happens to that word, Oceanian. Yeah, Yeah, Oceanian. Uh, There's too many, like, E in it. Anyway, um, the Oceanian Federation regards Tekadon. What? English is fucked up. (laughs) It is fucked up. Um, (laughs) The original synopsis is like they view them as heroes, which I don't think is quite what's happening. And also because they're like the the main synopsis is like because their actions led to the workers on the Dort colonies receiving more favorable working conditions. It's specifically that those like uh, improvements to the working conditions have caused a loss in productivity for the, the African Union, which is the union that like Dort is a part of. Um, and that, it, it, you know, Machinai uh, acknowledges it may just be a temporary loss in productivity as they are like sorting out the, the work changes. Um, but it has caused a boon for the other economic blocks that have been able to sort of step in and fill some of the, um, you know, supply deficits and things like that. So this is why, um, a lot of the other sort of groups, now have like a, a certain fondness for Tekadon, which is basically that they they're just making profits for, <laughs> for yeah. like Machinai and other people. Um I think this is also important because the the reviewer didn't understand why people were hesitant to work with Machinai. And it's like this is kind of why. <laughs> this is part of it. Um yeah. anyway, Kudelia is making her ambitions known. Uh she talks about the half metal rights for Martians and you know trying to, to work for Martian independence. Um, and also like trying to, uh, fix general inequalities that she's seeing on her trip as well, or, you know, her journey. Um, and Machinai reveals that, you know, although he, he would be sympathetic to, to help out with some of the stuff, um, he's not in a position to do this because he's been exiled from a seat of power at Arbro. Uh, and so he requests that Tekadon escort him to, uh, 
the the parliament, which we, we will find out later. Um, I don't think we find out in this episode, but it's in Edmonton, just like Edmonton, I Canada. I love it. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it, <laughs> like the the we'll get a whole fight scene in there, and it's like literally just like streets of Edmonton. Like they they use photographs to recreate the streets that they're fighting in. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I I love that aspect of the series. That they're just like, oh yeah, it's Edmonton. I mean, Edmonton's not an insignificant city, but also like there, there's amongst like this... all of the cities that you could choose in this like fictional universe to on the like in this yeah. fiction, it's kind of amusing. There's this part where so they like get in it. They're later going to get in at Anchorage, and they're going to be like going across like the Canadian countryside, um, and. I'm not like fully familiar with these routes. It it felt like we were viewing what would be like a Canadian summer, but I don't know if it's supposed to be some, like part of what I was wondering is like, is it in Edmonton because of global warming? Um, have people uh, moved North like in general? Mm-hmm. Um, but well, at one point it's snowing and then at another point it looks like it's basically like summer. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. That's true. Uh, there is the fight in the snow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a complete tangent. That's okay. We're still, um, still working on first episode synopsis. <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he hopes that if they're able to, to escort him, um, to the parliament, then he will be able to regain power and, and win re-election. Um, because we've, we've also kind of seen little things in the background of, uh, Gatlahern has like this person who they're trying to set up to win and, and be the new prime minister. Um, so, uh, oh, he also uh, promises that if he's, uh, able to win that election, he would then, uh, get them back safely to, to Mars. He would do everything that they could to do that, uh, as well as support Cudelia's motion for the half metal rights for Mars. Um, Orga and company, uh, you know, talk with the rest of Tekadon uh, about this. Um, also, a, a detail here is that they've all been, because of um, the Oceanian Federation uh, being, like, happy with them because of the, the boons that they've gotten due to the the uh, worker strike and everything. Um they are giving shelter to Tekadon, so currently, like, regular Gatlahern forces can't move in. Um, and uh, we get a, a... I think we have Orca uh, talking with Naze about, you know, what should I do? How should I approach this request for Makanai? Um, I forget... Uh, I should have brought in my notes here if... Um, I feel like Kudelia is also having her, her own uh, struggles here as well. Cudelia um, is like my memory is that Cudelia is basically like tech it on like if you don't want to do it that's fine like I'll just I'll just keep going mm-hmm. I'll I'll escort him myself or whatever yeah um which I don't what that even looks like I don't think anyone knows but yeah uh, that's not what happened. So yeah, these last six out. episodes, uh, Kudelia is like particularly driven. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, we also get later, um, 
Orga talks with Biscuit about what to do, and they find themselves at odds and get into a heated argument. Um, and Biscuit basically threatens to quit if um, Orga just keeps, you know, recklessly charging ahead like this. Um, we we find out after this, uh, we get some like background that uh, Biscuit got a message from Saverin. Um, who killed himself following the massacre of the Dort colonies, uh, blames himself for, for the deaths um, and leaves this message sort of in, employing Biscuit to, to just find some place where he can live. Um, very much like uh, Saverin is saying, like, uh, do the, the Shiro and Ina from 08th MS team ending. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> uh, just like advocating for that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, Biscuit heads to the garage to... So the, the synopsis said to discuss things with Nady, N-A-D-Y. And I think this is Yuki Nojo. Old it, man it Yuki is, Nojo. It is Yuki okay. Nojo. Um, I think that it's like actually spelled N-A-D-I. Um, so this is why I was extra confused. Um, but anyway, uh, Yuki Nojo, uh, you know, sort of is helping Biscuit out during this. Um, I've heard exactly what he says. Um, we, I have, I have the note. We'll, we'll talk. Okay. We, might, we can talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then Orga goes to speak with Meribit about uh, what's happened. And they're just kind of starting to discuss it when they get this alert from uh, Machinai. He calls up and says, Hey, you know how we were sheltering you? Uh, there's actually a, a group that has like uh, this, power this authority to supersede the standard legal sanctuary protections uh and it is of course our double zeta bitch uh part <laughs> issue of the outer or <laughs> outer earth orbit regulatory joint fleet uh charging in so um, yeah i like her even though she's booked so weekly <laughs> yeah um, um yeah she's well we, we'll find out what happens to Carta. yeah um episode 21 uh titled to the place of return um orga and kudelia um make the decision so okay uh with Gal- uh Gellerhorn, um coming to attack them uh orga and kudelia are basically like okay well our hand is forced um we have to uh escort mock and i um and first we have to like defend against Gellerhorn. Um, Biscuit is also, um, he's moved to action by the fact, you know, that this immediate necessity. Um, so he decides, you know, he'll stay, uh, and fight, uh, tech it on in the turbines, uh, work through the night, prepping the mobile workers, mobile suits, uh, and putting several traps in place, uh, to more or less like ambush, um, or try and turn the tables when Kellerhorn arrives. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Kudelia secures a transport route to Edmonton um, via ship um, from Montauk. Uh, Biscuit, uh, while this is happening, you know, we're still seeing Biscuit and Orga like processing. They're falling out. Um, eventually, uh, before the fight, Biscuit has they talk again. Um, they, uh, more or less reconcile. Um, and biscuit is like, 
um, you know, I, I'm going to stick around for the fight. Um, it, it appears, this is me editorializing, but they reconcile in a way that it appears they're both like planning to acquiesce to the other person's like perspective. Yeah. Um, but they don't like say this, they both like at the moment where they're going to like articulate, um, each one of them is like, well, we'll talk, um, after, yeah, after the fight. Um, We'll get to a thing too. I didn't make a note in the the synopses, but I, I will point it out when it happens um, for episode twenty three when we get there. But um. Um, so with that, uh, Carta attacks. Um, they start off with like a naval attack. Um, they're launching missiles on the island. Um, Tuckadon's prepared for this, um, so they're kind of fending off the um, the attack. Uh, and then, uh, Carta, Carta's army, like, deploys their second, um, movement, which is, like, a surprise attack from the sky. Um, they, like, drop from the sky, surfing on these massive shields. Um, it's, like, uh, similar to what Mika did to get through the atmosphere. Um, but with a a shield instead of just the, the, you know, (laughs) the, like, like empty frame. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, she, uh, she like announces herself. Um, she takes the field. She announces herself with her like group of soldiers, uh, and they start fighting Mika. Uh, I think it's Mika, Akihiro and the turbines are all like in the mix, um, with this fight. Um, I know at some point the turbines pull back from, cause they're like holding off the mobile suits that are coming from the ships for a while. Right. Um, I think Shino's also in the fight. Yeah. There's like a few different like areas. Yeah. Shino is. Um, There's a few different like areas of of the battle um, that they're moving Um, between. But as a note, this is the reveal of the. So um, Carta's is like slightly different than the others, but they're they're all Grey's Ridders. um, And the. The. um, Like the uh, gunpla kit that I haven't gotten yet, but probably will someday is specifically Carta's Grey's Raider. Uh, but I really like the, the design of this. It's like very night. Like, um, you know, it's got like a helmet with like the, the sort of fringe on the top, um, has like a, a very medieval looking sword. <laughs> yeah. We get some fencing type, like combat, uh, more like jousting, fe- like fencing type. Yeah. Combat, uh, stuff in these um this happened like with Galileo later as well yeah um Galileo has like a lance a lot of the time. yeah yeah um so uh anyway um they like you, you know she does her card issue double zeta thing um they get into formation um and they're like proceeding with this orderly attack um and Barbados just like crashes through the formation with brutality um kills like just starts uh basically like beating them apart um and the fight is going on um it's a contested fight yeah uh Tekadon's, like holding their ground um but uh whittling away uh at um at Gallahorn. 
Um, as uh, a note, uh, Barbados at this point, um, the weapon that, that Mika has chosen is, it's it's kind of just like a, a giant fucking, it's like a weird, but like giant fucking wrench. It's a giant like um, pneumatic wrench. Yeah. And so we'll just like smash it into people, but then also it will like open up and it will like grab body parts and try and, there's like a weird saw inside sometimes. Uh, the yeah, we, we see the saw yeah. later. Yeah. Um, uh, Gellahorn, like, they go to uh, Machinai's mansion. They're trying to, like, kidnap Machinai and Kudelia. Um, but uh, Tekadon's, like, anticipated this. The whole mansion's rigged with bombs. And they just, like, completely take out that uh, that group. Um, so Tekadon's gaining ground. Um, Orga uh, and Biscuit, meanwhile, um, they're kind of at the, at the scene where Karta and Mika are fighting. Um, and they're in a mobile worker. Orga's like riding on top, like he tends to do, and Biscuit's piloting it. Um, and uh, while Carta is like fighting Mika, uh, she sees Orga and realizes that he's the leader. Um, so she charges, uh, uh, tells her men to like hold Mika. Um, she charges Orga. Um, and then, like, in a last ditch attempt to, uh, it's a, like, he's not really trying to get Carta off their tail. He just, yeah. Biscuit knows, like, what's about to happen. So he tells the Orga, like, oh, let go of the rail. And then he swerves the mobile worker, um, throws Orga out of the, of the, um, mobile worker. And, like, right as Carta is, like, attacking the, um, the mobile worker, um, Mika sees this and like goes berserk uh, and basically drives off like the rest beats Carta um, is about to kill Carta. um, But like when the dust clears, um, he sees that that biscuit is like mortally wounded and dying. Um, He is pinned underneath like the wreckage, the mobile workers like overturned and he's kind of like halfway um, out of it um, now pinned underneath it. Um, Orga sees this too, um, and, uh, goes to Biscuit and, um, Biscuit has like some, some last words, uh, basically like, you know, I, I can't die here. Um, it's a, it's a tough scene. Um, and then like, but he dies, um, nonetheless, uh, and Orga and Mika are like, the episode ends on this kind of, um, with the shock of like Biscuit's death. Yeah. Um, with, uh, and we see Kudelia and Mach and I, um, preparing to board the transport ship, um, making note of how quiet things are now that the fight's over. Um, and also, you know, because, uh, Biscuit is, is dead. Yeah. Uh, and then episode 22, a letter from tomorrow. Um, so we, we start off with the remains of Carta's, uh, you know, battalion fleeing. Um, and it kind of moves into, uh, similar to, to episode 13. It's like this episode's full of a lot of mourning for Biscuit. Um, but different than episode 13, there's like, they have to keep moving in a way that they didn't really then. Um, so there's not like as much space, I think for that, uh, but in an intentional way. Um, Intentional on the show's part, I mean. Um, 
And uh, Orga seems to be taking it the hardest out of everyone. Um, he's not there when everyone's sort of gathering around, uh, like sort of biscuit in the, the there's like a body bag thing. Uh, people are sort of uh, going in mourning. Um, and Orga is just kind of, uh, you know, silent. Isolated. In the room. I, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, meanwhile, uh, McGillis you know, gets word about the, the assault, um, and, uh, also learns about Gileo's arrival. Um, we also get, uh, Isnario who we've seen like little glimpses of before, but, um, this is McGillis's father. Um, and, uh, you know, I think McGillis like makes a a comment about how, uh, his father is going to be disappointed in Carta. Um, and indeed, um, is Nario's is. like, yeah, um, you know, she was supposed to take this out, take this problem out. Now there's like a legitimate chance that Tekadon could help Makanai, uh, get back and reclaim, uh, reclaim parliamentary power. I forget if this is a, a specific scene where he's with the, the woman who's supposed to win, who like Gatlinhorn seems to be, um, you know, trying to, to set up to win. Um, and he's upset because he's trying to maintain lots of power and status within the seven stars. Um, we, we learn a, like a brief bit about it throughout these episodes. Um, and so the seven stars are seven different families. Um, I won't say all the names now, cause I know at least one other family we're going to specifically get, uh, like a character from, I know at least one that we get a character from, uh, next season. But the, the three families that we've seen so far are the Farid family, the issue family and the, uh, Baudouin family. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and yeah, we, I forget if it's here or later on. Yeah, here we, we sort of specifically learn that uh, he arranged the marriage between McGillis and Gileo's sister so that he can sort of, um, you know, the Farid family can can take on some power to, from, yeah, yeah. Uh, to the, the Baudouin family. Um, and also there's sort of this um, thing that it happened all the time. Uh, I think there's like a certain intentional stuff with some of the, the old Norse names happening where it was very common to have like marriages like this as well as fostering. And so like he essentially is like a, a if people listen to around the long fire, this comes up all the time, but it's like the foster father to Carta issue as an, another way to like strengthen political ties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Carta is like kind of his daughter as well. Um, we also get McGillis meeting with Gileo. Uh, so now McGillis is there in person uh, seeing uh, Ayn, who's still, you know, basically uh, comatose and, and barely being kept alive on life support. Um, and McGillis is once again advocating, we need to use the Alea Vignana system to revive Ayn. Um, and when Gileo continues to sort of push back on this, McGillis uh, reveals some of this hidden knowledge that he's had um, been carrying around this whole season. Uh, this is one of the things that I knew when we first started talking about the Alea Vignana system. And I was like, I know I can't talk about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but that uh, the system was invented by Gatlahern back during the Calamity War. Uh, that's also when they created the 72 Gundam frames, um, and they were specifically created to work t- together, that the the Alea system would allow people to interface with the Gundam frames um, and basically uh, unlock the power of mobile suits, which uh, was the sort of existing uh, most dominant... Um, like weapon at the time anyway humanity's greatest weapon yeah he says um and so in order to to be able to interface with it even more directly they they developed the system um and also kind of vaguely talks about protecting humanity during the calamity war from what who knows um we don't get that much detail but we more. we learned that uh, at least the understanding of what the calamity war is is that it was some sort of thing that like threatened humanity itself um and uh after sort of the the victory of the calamity war um a handful of the the Gundam pilots went on to form the seven stars of Yatlahern uh this like organization being um you know, descending from, I, I guess, like the seven pilots, um, seems to be what is, um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, this is also a thing where I was filling it in cause the synopsis didn't care about any of this shit at all. Um, yeah. and so, uh, but then even though they, they won victory through the system, the LA Vignana system, they then, uh, began to develop these social mores against the use of it specifically to discourage the possibility of an uprising, um, where other people would use the system and the Gundam frames in against them. Um, and so by sort of, uh, suppressing or, or, uh, you know, making that like a forbidden technology was a way to safeguard that power, um, and present, prevent it from falling into hands outside of the seven stars. Uh, seemingly a lot of this has been now lost to the seven stars themselves. Um, but, McGillis knows. Uh, during this conversation, they proceed to this underground research facility where we basically just get the like seeing the the like weird uh, corpse of the Evangelion style shot of just this yeah, giant like hung mobile up by frame. the shoulders. Yeah, uh, just this giant mobile frame. Um, There's some and, tinges of of Ava and uh, in this. Yeah, in these few episodes here. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, it was reassuring, uh, Galio, uh, if we do this Alea system for Ayn, that's the thing that will give him, um, you know, this chance for revenge. Um, otherwise he's just going to, going to be on life support and die. Um, there's like no other hope, uh, and seems to convince Galio finally in, in this moment. Um, meanwhile, crew is still reeling from biscuit's death we're getting various stuff about how it's affecting their work um i think this is when we get like atra dropping plates uh there's this interesting uh exchange where meribit is like atra do you want me to take over in the kitchen and you know just like work is a thing that distracts people just let her work if she wants to work yeah <laughs> um so um we do see that uh, Cadelia continues to be like very focused, seems calm, um, doesn't seem to be uh, at least outwardly affected by what happened, um, and is like, well, everyone else is kind of, uh, I think there's a, a power vacuum that has happened or a, a loss of leadership where a lot of um, Tekadon also feels kind of uh, restless and aimless 
um, without someone really telling them what to do having uh plans and having that like figure of somebody who seems confident um but we do get kudelia um making plans directly with machinai about how to proceed um and she proposes that they go to anchorage in alaska um and there she has already arranged a train um i i think this is implied to be through montag but uh, we don't get, I don't think we did get that confirmed. Um, but basically taking a train into Edmonton to go to the parliament. Um, they'll have to stop outside. I forget it when we learn that you can't take, I feel like we learned this in previous, uh, episodes even, but that you can't take, uh, mobile suits into city centers. And we'll, it's, we'll see it's either, it's either this one or the next one, I think when that, when that's okay. re- revealed. Um, but yeah, so that, that's sort of the plan. Uh, that's because, because of what happened in gun victory. Well, I don't know what that means, but uh, I guess I'll find out soon. Um, it, I'll just say taking uh, um, taking like nuclear bombs into a city is not. Oh yeah, is, turn is, a. is not great. <laughs> oh yeah, that happens in turn A too. Um, oh, there's such a, there's like a extended uh, nuclear bomb arc in turn A that's so good. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah. I'm excited yeah, there, for you to watch it. <laughs> There, yeah, I'm excited for you to watch Victory because, uh, but brief tangent here, but um, it's it's really a great show. Um, I figured out last last time we we were recording and we were talking about it, um, and I was like saying I didn't understand why it's taking me so long to watch through it. Um, I figured out why. It's because it's an absolute death march and it's like very, very sad and brutal. Um, but it's a great show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to, to see it. Well, thankfully we're not doing another death march right now. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. There's no death march, uh, no death yeah, march yeah. aspects of, of the, the coming episodes at all. <laughs> um, anyway, uh yeah the this plan is because um basically afraid that if they do the direct route of taking the ship all the way to Edmonton um you know Gatlerhorn will be anticipating this and will cut them off um and so hopefully by taking the train they can sort of uh if and this is uh the thing that Cudelia is sort of saying like Mach and I can use secure uh, a very quick and like secret us getting from this ship to the train um, so that hopefully we can we can like lose uh, Gatlerhorn's trail for a little bit um, as we take this in. Um, meanwhile, uh, I, I thought that this is the, the review that I was doing was very funny where it's like Mikazuka, uh, Mikazuki tracks down Orga and, uh, you know, slaps some sense into him. The only way he knows how by asking who to kill next. And I was like, this is a really intense. Oh my scene. God. Yeah. This is this like is... Mikazuki. Mikazuki basically goes to Orga, uh, grabs him by the collar and is like, you know, you can't be in here like sniveling and crying. Essentially, uh, he doesn't say him in the in those words, but he's like, "I picked you because you are the one who like is helping me continue to move towards my goals." There's and there's <laughs> I many, need to keep moving. There's many layers to this conversation, yeah. like, it, w- w- which we will talk about. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this is an amazing scene and incredibly tense. Yeah, 
Uh, and like Mikazuki is like scary in a way that he, he hasn't in this, in the same way with other people. Sometimes when he's been like brutally attacking other max, there's like a, yeah, a little bit of, of scary, but like him specifically, like, uh, almost threatening Orga being like, I need you to tell me what to do next and to keep moving because you are the one who's like helping me get places and I need you to do your job. Uh, you need to tell me who to kill next. <laughs> yeah. Um, you need to stop moping in here and do that. Uh, like, and this I, does I, work. I want, I want to keep killing. Like you yeah. need to tell me who to kill next. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, after this confrontation, uh, Orga seemingly snaps out of whatever funk he's in, gathers everyone in Tekadon and does this, uh, rousing speech about their next mission, which is to get revenge against Gatla Hearn. Um, and this is the start of Meribit just being horrified at what's happening. She will continue to be in this mode for basically the rest of the show. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, we, good to know we that, talk more about that it, we but. can expect more. But Oh, I mean, of these episodes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually don't remember exactly. I know that she sticks around in season two. We'll see more of her, but. Okay. Um, uh, yeah maribit is like revenge like that's not that's not our mission our mission is you know this transport and it's like it's revenge for us <laughs> um yeah. maribit like they're we'll, we'll we'll talk about it um yeah maribit's perspective is like i think important yeah um, and then the, the episode ends with, uh, Cudelia sort of after the speech, pulling Orga aside and being like, uh, while you were moping, I made this plan for us to get on our train. Um, we're almost there and we get like these shots of, I think we show like, there's like some quick shots of them, like moving to the train and then it, and it ends on them on the train going to Edmonton. Um, I think that next episode, they change the OP slightly so that you see the Canadian countryside um towards the end yeah. but yeah um there we go we we made it through the first three episodes <laughs> do you want to um talk about episodes or do you want to do all the synopses and then talk about them <clears throat> in chunks um we can do that we can do these two chunks we can talk about these ones and then we can get into the next there's stuff here okay oh yeah no question um so i think episode 20 you know we get the earth which is kind of where we left off last time. Um, we get a little bit here with like the space noids or like the, the Martians, uh, the space rats, like encountering earth as non-natives. Yeah. Um, I know you haven't seen victory, but it brings to mind victory because victory has stuff with this. Um, yeah. I mean, even Oh, MS team has a little bit of this. There's the part where, uh, Shiro first comes down and is like, there's all the comments about like air conditioning and like being out in the heat and, you yeah. know, stuff being kind of just like gross and muddy and stuff. Um, but yeah. So there's like the, you know, the beauty of the earth, but also like they're disgust at it. Um, and specifically around the ocean. I mean, it's very, uh, it's almost like a, direct reference to to victory um with the like disgust at the ocean specifically like yeah. the salty I mean, I mean the I'm assuming Oath gets it from victory <laughs> uh, probably if, victory yeah. is the first one that I can remember like doing it um 
victory is does it there's a very interesting like there's some interesting bits of victory with this um it doesn't develop it like as much as i would uh as much as i would like to see um here i think we get even like a little bit less than that um but uh I, I do like think it's notable. Um, yeah, I think it's also notable because uh, we sort of laughed, la- uh, left off last time with this, uh, you know, Mikazuki coming down to Earth, remembering this conversation with Orga about like the plate. We're going to the place where we belong. We'll know when we get there. And there's this tone to the end of the episode of like, do they know that they've got gotten there? And now we get. Um, this actually doesn't seem like the stopping place. We get this sudden shift where people are wanting to go back home to Mars, um, after sort of wanting to go to earth all this time. Uh, so I think that's also like part of what's happening with, um, some of this, these other details, uh, is like a, a certain shift of like, this actually isn't the stopping place for them. Um, and there's also this, you know, uh, biscuit is going to be like the, the forefront of the, I just want to go home. I just want to go back to Mars, uh, sort of position. But a lot of people are also kind of missing home in the, in these episodes. Uh, we also get to the place of return, <laughs> you know, as one yeah. of the episode titles. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I just like the larger theme of, um, you, you know, again, we talked about it last time, but the relationship of like, uh, humanity with the earth, this, like the key Gundam thing. Yeah. Um, and then, then what that means for like, uh, humans who are like native to space, um, that there's like this connection, but also like, well, it is there or isn't there. Um, and then, the like visceral, the the way that that's like conveyed in this visceral like disgust or this like visceral experience of like, um, alienness. Like the Earth itself is like alien, and it smells and like sensations and all that. Um, yeah, and so that like that kind of staging is um, is interesting. But but yes, it, it goes into like, um, what you're talking about as well, where it's that like a kind of resistance that they're meeting um, or that they have to like struggle with. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing I, in my note, I just put like more later because this is, this point is going to be um, f- <laughs> fleshed out uh, in later episodes, but we also learn in an episode 20 that, um, cybernetics is like a characteristic of um like space noids um yeah that like we're getting hints of this leading up to to this episode um but now it's like more specifically confirmed that uh earthlings are like that cybernetics are, are extremely uncommon um or like non-existent on earth um and that there's like prejudice from people from earth against, um, cybernetics. Um, 
So this is obviously like ties into the um, colonial regime that we've been talking about. Um, This like earth centric colonial regime where um, the, the space colonies are uh, like in this kind of abject or exploited position um, where the people like living in space are coerced or forced to get cybernetics to perform certain types of labor. Um, And then they're like marked as abject uh, to re to reinforce these class dichotomies. Um, Again, more later on this, uh, because this, this amounts to something like even bigger and more significant um, that we learn about (laughs) in these episodes uh, or in the, the arc. Um, But I just wanted to call that out that, that we're getting this detail here. Yeah, I mean, in the episodes that we we currently have, um, we get that that bit of the the reveal that McGillis has about uh, the actual origin of the Leia Vignana system, um, and like the reason why this, uh, you know, more against this technology. Why there is this like uh, view of the objection that happens when people get the this procedure done. Um, is like an intentional way to to pre- prevent the use of that stuff, but we can talk even more when all that stuff comes to roost. I guess yeah. <laughs> the last three yeah. episodes, <laughs> definitely. Um, the Dort reform. Uh, I didn't know how to feel about this because it's it seemed very jarring. Like we see it on TV, and it's like last time we saw the Dorts, everyone's getting exterminated. And now, like, we see that they've apparently, like, reached this resolution. Yeah. Um, for, the first thing that that I didn't know how to feel about is, uh, I guess we're just supposed to take this as, like, um, like, we're not supposed to question this as, like, a media spin. Because then Mock and I, like, confirms it, seems to confirm it later that, like, Oh yeah, like Gellerhorn actually just um like negotiated with the the workers or whatever. Yeah. I I think some of this is also tying into a a thing that I think that this show believes, which is that um when the truth is like given a platform to uh speak and Kudelia being the person who's often delivering like Kudelia gives that speech over the broadcast where people are seeing it, talking about what happened. Um, and I, I think it like believes that when that truth is revealed, that like th- that changes things mm-hmm. um, in a way yeah. that may not always fully be true in the real world. Um, but I think some of it is that like she gave that speech. I, I do think that there's a certain tempering that's happening here. Which is, um, you know, she gives the speech talking about the massacre and everything that gets broadcast. And what happens is they have to pivot from this is just them putting down an uprising to, uh, oh, negotiating. Yeah, there's, there's this negotiation that, that's happened. But the thing that I think is also, um, there's a tension in it, and I, I don't know exactly how I feel about it, which is that, um, Throughout all of this, Kudelia has had like a a 
a very idealistic mode. And we're, we get a, I forget when the, the conversation happens between Cudelia and Machina. It might be in the next three episodes, but I think it's relevant to bring up here where he talks about like, you still have that so, idealism, but you also have this realism because now it's in 22, by the way. Yeah. Now she's like focused on this idea of half metal rights. Um, she seems to, for all of the, the revolutionary uh, politics that she has, her main goal is like a, a negotiation for a, you know, favorable improvement in the economic conditions of Mars. Um, which is so much more specific than sort of uh, like Martian independence. Um, or like, yeah, anti-colonialism. Yeah. Uh, but also seems to be something like there's also... And, and I, I don't remember all of the full details of like season two. So who knows if some of this stuff gets explored more, but like half metal rights is the thing that the, that Moontog cared a lot about, like getting some of, uh, you know, securing some power through those half metal rights, um, being able to benefit from that. So some of it too is like, is like McGillis slash Moontog also having this influence of, you have this like broad revolutionary, uh, like idealistic perspective i'm going to like give you a, a specific thing that it might be achievable but that is also going to benefit mcgillis and in, in his goals here um i think that's absolutely happening yeah uh, think- it's kind of it's happening under the surface but it's uh you know we'll get to the end of the series too i think that th- this uh show believes more in electoral politics than i do <laughs> um we get the whole thing of like, you know, getting the the election and obviously uh, the Machina election seems like it is generally going to be better than I forget her name. Henri um, Fleurs. Yeah. Henri Fleurs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think the, the show has more faith in that, but also there's an entire second season. So clearly like this election doesn't fix everything. You know, yeah. I don't think that's I, revealing too much about this, the second season of the show that you make an additional season of the show because not everything's fixed right away. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think, I think you're right that like the tension with Kudelia, you called it out earlier. Like we, we see it in episode, in the like episodes with Biscuit's death where yeah. she, I think there are like shots of her reacting with like shock and, um, you know, despair and whatnot to Biscuit's death. But by and large, like the majority of the time that everyone else is grieving, she's like away from Tekadon with Machinai. Um, and I think that is like telling us that's indicating something. Yeah. Um, about like, a potential like tension uh with her character um which i think is twofold like the first being that um the suggestion that like her revolutionary like politics are like yes well yeah they're disruptive on some level but they're actually we get a couple times in these these episodes like this kind of step back to the real like power players. Um, and we get peaks at like their reaction um, to Kudelia. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like this is just an encountered for <laughs> like force 
in this like impossibly complex like web of capital yeah. uh that like oh yeah yeah like this revolution this is not like a challenge to like the highest level of like this regime of capital this yeah. is just like you know these blips that are just moving assets around that we're just going to like maneuver like the the, the people who are really like arranging this system and profiting from it are just like maneuvering their assets to, to like profit from the, like these developments. Um, yeah. Instead of like having it be like, you know, it's not overturning anything. Um, and then the second tension is like this threat of Kudelia. She's being like coached. Uh, no, whether or not she's like receptive to it, she doesn't appear to, she's not just like eating it up. Um, but like Montag and Mach and I are like trying to coach her, um, to like go down this more, to, w- to go down like whatever path. Yeah. Um, Rather than being, like uh, uh, like a maiden of revolution who's inspiring people to like fight back against injustice, uh, in the streets, um, overthrow your oppressors. She's moving more into this like politician role where she's yep. like, uh, the, the social Democrat who would like to get elected someday and is currently like working with a, a more left leaning Democrat to, to try and like, <laughs> you know, uh, secure some, like, yep. some, uh, you know, get like union laws on the book or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. The, the mode she's moving into now. Yeah. And and we see like uh, again, there's a lot more with I I don't think we can't reduce Kudelia to this at this point, because like they're not at all. Um but it's like in the same way that the show is kind of presenting these like um foils or like challenges to the like ideological evolution of Tekadon and the characters, like Kudelia is getting her own like this is the next challenge for Kudelia. Like the thing that she, it appears she's going to have to like grapple with is this more insidious, like, uh, steering or like coercion of like, like the the counter revolutionary like immune system <laughs> of the like you know of this regime that's going to just like try to like incorporate her and assimilate her, um, yeah, and you know. Well, I guess we'll see what what happens yeah. with that. I mean, also there's this increasing reveal, and we can talk about it more with the the last three episodes when we get to them. But like, um, we we see more and more of McGillis slash Montag being like a person with who who is looking at the chess game and moving around his pieces, and um, you know, playing people off of each other in in a way. Like he he's uh. Far more than Kudelia, he is like deeply aware of the the power structures and is trying to specifically play them off of each other um, to secure power for himself. For still, even when we get to the end, ambiguous reasons. But we can talk mm-hmm. about him more. I think next three episodes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he is definitely viewing like Kudelia and Tekadon as well as like a, a piece Pawns. in his game. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We also get this with like the zoom out. I think it's the last episode, the zoom out to uh Noblis and 
McMurdo. Yeah. Where they're just like, you know, sitting in the, the, now they're just like fully just in the same room and just like guffawing about, you know, all, all of these developments and like how they're going to make money off of it or whatever. Yeah. Like we gotta, we gotta just like, uh, prepare for the changes now, but you know, they are changes we can account for. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like that's really good for you. Noblesse. Like with, you know. You're like this legislate in the same way that I think Mach and I is clearly like aligned with this as well, or at least yeah. in, in my reading, like he's the same, like horrible old man, um, like agent of, uh, like with Barristan, uh, McMurdo Barristan, Noblesse and Mach and I were getting this trickle of, characters where it's like oh we're like now we're seeing the actual people who have like arranged like the oligarchs who rule over this shit and who have like arranged this like system yeah um, that gallerhorn is just like a part of uh and mach and i definitely is like more of the the liberal politician but um you know we don't get too much of this politics but i get like that neoliberal vibe of like um he just wants more diversity in the capitalist forces. Right. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then he goes and is like, you know, guffawing with Barristan yeah. and Noblesse afterwards. And, you know, I can secure more power if I advocate for, you know, uh, better state funded school lunches or whatever. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that left leftist policy is like advantageous to, you know, to this like segment of capital and like these machinations like, Oh yeah, I've been interested in the deregulation of Martian half metal for quite some time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I have, I have assets and you know, that would be positively impacted by that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh, all all was the, the conversation the, we're having about it is making me feel a little bit better about the stuff happening with um, with Kudelia. Because the first few times I watched it, I was not thinking quite as deeply about like all of the characters, and I, I just wasn't watching it in the same way that you you do when you have to do a deep read for a podcast. You just have to watch a show a different way when you do that. Yeah. Um, and so I think like with those, I was just so much more in the mode of like this reviewer that I keep mocking of just like, Oh, that fight was cool. And you know, I think I was caring more about some of the stuff than the reviewer. Uh, I liked the, the women characters, for example, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I one important Kudalia. difference. But it was it was also just like even then it was like a slight scoffing of like oh it just all ends with an election, um, but now I'm thinking about it more and it, at first I was like even more like mm, I don't know what's going on here but, but as we're talking through it I think, um, yeah there there is a certain like uh, realism and uh, interesting dramatic tension in like yes this revolutionary group one of the biggest threats it has is just to become folded in as like a part of the system, um, to become accounted for, to be, uh, pushed more towards the, the route of the politician rather than the, you know, um, rioter in the street, those kinds of things. So, yeah. Um, that's definitely happening here. Um, the other, 
thing. We can talk about Biscuit and Orga's argument. I think this, like, the core parts of this are also, like, present in Mika and Orga's conversation and then, like, afterwards. Um, so we don't have to, like, do it exhaustively here. Um, but this, like, core tension of, you know, the, like, uh, the 08th MS team ending of, yeah. like, oh, well, the core questions being, like, you know, what is the value of life? And, like, is is there anything that's worth, like, sacrificing life for? Or, like, what is the highest good? Um, and is, like freedom or whatever end that is like uh to be achieved by all of this like um by this like moving forward that Tekadon is doing um is this worth like the loss of life or um or is it like you know more moral and better to just like live your life out quietly like find a place where you can live and like I'll put I'll put this in scare quotes like relative peace. Um yeah. Because whether or not uh we kind of we talked about this last time as well. Um but whether or not the existence that is available to like Tekadon um could be considered peaceful um is like very much up for debate at this point. Um so yeah. Um, yeah. Um well and and this is also you know, if we if we want to jump ahead a little bit to Biscuit's death. Yeah. Um one, like with Biscuit's death, there is a certain uh loss of that perspective within Tekadon. Tekadon becomes more single minded and and going forward we'll see this you know we see it in the uh in 22 and we'll see it even more in some of the the future episodes but um you know taking out as a whole is so much more just like yes we will fight um we have to get revenge um and some of this is like uh biscuits death sort of proving orga right in some ways um but also like the the broader thing that they are stuck under at this point, which is they are so like, uh, wanted by Gyatlahern that even in trying to escape, they will still come after you. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it has pushed them to a limit. And so some of it is like, it's not just that biscuits not there to make the argument anymore, but that biscuits death, uh, proves in some ways the way that they are just all, um, like they are actively being stomped on and they just have to fight back. It's like the only option being given to them. Um, This is a thing that I think also sort of uh, comes up with some of the tension that we'll get with uh, Maribit. I think Yukinojo sort of um, is aligned with Maribit to some degree, but is more um, Maribit like wants to stop people and Yukinojo just thinks that it can't happen. But I think there's also this recognition that he might have, it's kind of hard to, you know, it's mostly through his reactions and, and little responses to Maribit, but that like 
Meribit is like, this is wrong. This, you know, this isn't right. This isn't what family is. People shouldn't be seeking revenge. People should like these kids shouldn't be doing this violence. Um, yeah, they shouldn't and, be like warped like this. Yes, to like to uh, these ends. And sometimes in Yuki Nojo's response, I get this vibe of Meribit is saying that being like, and so the kids should stop. And Yuki Nojo is looking at it and being like, and they are they exist in a society where they have to do this. That yeah. this is like the only option available to them now. Uh, that is what is wrong and like what shouldn't be. But it's it's not we can't convince these kids otherwise because this is all that they can do. This is all that has been given them to them that they can do at this point because they are so uh how like hounded and wanted and um you know, constantly being attacked by, by others that like all they can do is fight back um, yeah. and try to get the upper hand in that. Yeah. Like jumping even further ahead. Um, we haven't like, we're not in this section yet, so I'm not going to go like too, um, too deep, but the moment in episode 24, like Orga's speech before they launch the attack where he's like, uh, and this is a really um episode 24 is is a really uh t- tough episode and this speech is really like uh difficult um but he's basically like we live by risking our lives for money ever since we were born and like th- this is like even more fleshing out what you're saying which is like in an exploitative regime like the exploited are already like victims of violence and risk. Like they're um, all of this, like state violence, economic violence of exploitation. Um, and then all of the risk, like all, society is uh, shifting all of this risk onto like the, these exploited people, uh, such as like they're forced into forms of labor that will risk and like destroy their bodies and lives, um, which is what we see you know, episodes one, two, and three, uh, we see this state. Um, and so like being subjected to this, like life ending or life altering violence, like that's not a choice for them. Uh, it's, it's like they, it's going to happen either way because they're being subjected to it. Yeah. Um, and like fighting back involves like exposure to risk and violence and like to a, yeah, sh- cer- certainly to a greater or more immediate extent. Um, but it's not a categorical difference. Um, I think that's what the, like the show is framing. Um, at least like there's debate around these ideas. Um, and it like the thing about fighting back is that. Um, there's an agency in it um, and there's a possible end uh, of like it's there's a potentiality of like freedom um, and that's like the choice that they've that they're being given um, I think this is again we I we kind of tried to present this last time and I think I did it like uh, probably pretty poorly Um but there's like ideas around this, uh, or this is a hu- a, a huge theme yeah. <laughs> of the show. Um, yeah, not to like jump the gun on you there, 
yeah. But I, I feel like that moment in episode 24 is like the key moment for this, for these ideas that we're yeah. trying to bring out. Um, we have other big stuff we want to talk about. Uh, you have this note about like Gatlahern breaking down. I think we can talk about some of this stuff too when we get to the, the next three episodes. Um, we're seeing the starting hands. I guess one thing we can talk about here, um, which will happen next time, but uh, pretty distinctly happens in these scenes is uh, there's a lot of talk about like uh, battle theory, you know, uh, Carta issue is like someone who has read the, the uh, art of war <laughs> and yeah. seemingly has not actually fought many. Um, <laughs> and their, their approaches. I think some of this is also referencing, um, you know, various like revolutions that have happened where there is, um, there is this like the conventional warfare versus yeah, there's the, warfare. yeah this convention versus yeah the convention versus the gorilla um the like they have like their formations that they do uh and everyone stands in a line and charges or or shoots <laughs> um seems to work quite well when what you're doing is doing a massacre you know yeah. um when when you have military when you have like the, the um, just superiority in terms of pure weaponry uh, there, that works extremely well. Um, if a lot of conflicts, we don't learn much about conflicts, but um, I mean, we, we do get a little bit that like Yala Hearn has basically kept the peace uh, between these like different economic blocks to some extent. Um but like them fighting like actual yeah. war- warfare, I think it's clear that like it has they haven't for quite yeah. some time. And we've we've seen a number of fights in space um, that you know Tekadon has been involved in, um, and a lot of them have been with other like space rats and those kinds of people. Um, you know we we had like the horrifying sentence uh a discussion episode or two ago of like forced to kill other enslaved child soldiers yeah uh, <laughs> um we're gonna have another horrifying sentence here in episode 24 yeah um and when when we have seen uh conflicts with like Gatlahern, they've been people who i i think are um more directly used to like combat against more guerrilla style forces. Um, and obviously none of them ha- have held up against Mikazuki. Uh, Mikazuki has been just a- above and beyond in all of them. Um, but like the, the initial fight that happens with um, Kronk, uh, he seems like he's, he, he does do this like honorable challenge to a duel, you know? Uh, yeah. But it seems like he's maybe a little bit more used to the way that things happen on the streets, <laughs> so to speak. Carta yeah. um, issue like protects the earth and it just seems like nobody has come here and done guerrilla warfare against them before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no one's invaded the earth for, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, She's never so had to just... fight like to battle an invasion of earth. Yeah. So they, she just doesn't know what to do in a way that, um, Again, I I think there is a little bit of double Zeta in her character, the way that she's sort of goofy and over the top. Um, I do 
like her a lot as a character in part because uh you know now i've I've seen double zeta i think it's like my favorite of the uc gundam stuff i've seen so far um you know joke episodes and all Um, no it's good it's very good yeah but so i think that's some of my affection for her even beyond um i don't know if you noticed this watching it but she has a a strong uh like kitsune like fox vibe um oh yeah she kind of looks like the kitsune mask and she has like uh foxtails basically and like in their front the front of her hair um i think there's also a little bit to her that might be pointing towards like crane imagery uh especially during like we'll get to to the scene where um there's a there's a blood (laughs) blood bath coming um yeah but um because have we i forget um have we gotten the the name barbados lupus or is that season two no we haven't yet okay um this is not too much of a spoiler uh but barbados will increasingly get compared to a wolf um so Hmm. you know something to look forward to but um but yeah so so there is like a little bit of that happening here where um there is this like very uh formal organized like uh aristocracy that is happening um and it means that like their way of fighting actually cannot stand up to the guerrilla warfare both like just in pure tactics sense uh but then also as we learn like the the alea vignana is a thing that they don't have and that disadvantages them um, yeah they really have no like have no chance yeah um but, but we, from, we can talk after, about more of of what's happening there but <laughs> yeah we learn in this group of episodes that like gallerhorn actually had had no chance from the beginning basically yeah um fighting against like the uh alea uh, vignana system because yeah. uh, it's it's so much of a disparity um uh anyway um episode 22 uh the big thing here do you want to i think we could should try to like start untangling this conversation between mika and orga the, yeah this confrontation i would describe it yeah um, um i would start by saying like this is a this is totally an extremely tense uh conversation because th- there's different ways of reading this um but i think there are like i think there are very troubling aspects of this conversation uh intermixed with like um like moving uh yeah moving and like for lack of a better word like positive uh aspects are so like uh, deeply intermixed with like some very troubling things um but uh we basically get like the dynamics of control and manipulation in these relationships, uh, like clashing headlong into like the dynamics of friendship and like interdependency. Um, and also there's like, I also think there's heavy sexual undertones, um, yeah, in this as well. Um, 
but you kind of brought out some of this earlier. Um, like Mika needs Orga to be this like driven and ruthless Orga who rushes into danger. Um, and here we see like the possibility of Orga like losing his his motivation to, yeah. to do this or like questioning it. Um and trying to decide like if that's the right path for him or not. Uh and Mika just comes in and is fully like, no, like you're not deciding anything. Like it essentially is essentially like using force. Uh yeah. Or threatening force to like make Orga take on this like reassume this role. Uh, um, so that's that's the first thing I, that I'll yeah. say about this. Well, and it is it is this uh, interdependent. I mean, we we got it earlier with the, you know, it's very easy when you first start watching the series of, oh, Orga is the leader who can make plans, uh, who can who can take these risks, but makes good bets uh, where they they succeed. Um, but are succeeding in part because Mika is the one who does not hesitate to uh, not only get his hands dirty, but to get his hands bloody. Um, that more so than Orga, Mika is the one who is just driven and ruthless, but that he is a... Uh, we learn, I think, even more here in, in this scene than, than ever before, that like Mika recognizes that he needs someone to point him in a direction to to like be ruthless and to drive forward um and that is what he needs orga for um and so we get this thing where you know earlier we got the oh it seems like mika just kind of follows whatever orga says um and then orga has that oh i do all of this because when i see mika's eyes they're asking him what what next you know they're asking me what next what next uh what are we doing next what's the next thing that we're we're uh you know what's the next risk we're taking the next step we're taking uh and so we all like already got in that moment like um orga needs or is just pushed by um Mm. by mika uh and here we get it like uh intensified into this level where um you know to to sort of jokingly say it uh we learn that mika has been topping from the bottom the entire time (laughs) (laughs) yeah um 100%. Yeah. Um and the like th- there's different ways of 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 reading this where yeah. it's like but but I think ultimately uh both of these things are true. Yeah, I don't is, think I don't think there's one correct like no it's this and not this reading. Uh yeah. both I think both they're of, both Yeah, these are both happening at the same time. Exactly. And, and it, I think it's the like most significant glimpse into like a very troubling side of this, uh, like troubling and violent side of this like relationship, like the guts of this relationship, uh, that we haven't like fully gotten yet. Uh, but we absolutely get it like 100% here. Um, where like, is it the case that Mika, like, because he is like the closest to Orga, 
understands that like Orga needs to move past the grief and like, yeah. oh, the only way is for me to go in and shake him up. Yeah. Or that everyone else says, I'll oh, leave him be, you know, uh, he, he needs space. And Mika is the only one who knows that what Orga really needs is someone to, to shake him out of this. Um, and you know, help him move past that, that like stage of just being, um, in despair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and so this is it, it's this like success of like empathy and friendship because Mika like sees this and knows that, you know, this is what he needs. Or is it Mika needs (laughs) Orga to be this way? Uh, and so he's going to make Orga like continue being that because Miki can't face the like not what what's going to happen <laughs> when he doesn't have this version of Orga. Um, and then that like within that is the other the other question of like, I th- which I think the the viewer like sh- is invited to pose, um, which is like, is this truly the only way for Orga to move past his grief? Um, yeah. like is Mika right? Uh, and I think that question is, I say we're invited to post the question because we see a lot of shots of Orga, um, like kind of peppered throughout while everyone is mourning Biscuit. Um, and also extending back to like when he and Biscuit first have the fallout where Orga is like deeply contemplating like Biscuit's perspective and trying to make a decision like for himself. Um, and it doesn't appear like, like he's processing this, like Orga is not just like, I can imagine other versions of this where it's like, Oh, Orga is like, um, not to be like extreme, but just for contrast, like, Oh, Orga is going to like commit suicide or something. And then it's like, Oh, well there's this extremity and like Mika intervenes to stop him. Um, but it's not that like Orga is trying to like figure shit out and process this. And Mika like crashes in and is like, no, 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 no. Like you don't think about this. Like you have to be, you know, this one way. Um, so there's like the tension there as well. Um, as far as like, how we interpret um, this situation, like within the the larger context um, of like, you know, is this really like the only, the only way um, and therefore like the only right thing to do right in scare quotes. Yeah. Um, And then like, sorry, we're just like diving through the layers of this. Yeah. Um, and then we have the fact that the conversation is couched like so explicitly in violence, um, where Mika is like, he's first of all, like, you know, grabbing Orga by the shirt, like intimidating him. Yeah. Um, and then he like starts to, uh, like go into this like coda of like, how many more should I kill? Like, who should I kill next? Um, in a way that's like deeply disturbing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But like also, um, and this is like tying into the, 
the stuff that we deferred talking about with Mika with like the sadism um, where like Mika is talking about their relationship and he's characterizing it in this way. Like in this moment, like the relationship is like, we kill people together. Like tell me yeah. who to kill. Um, like we need to keep killing more. Um, and so it's like um, a moment where, uh, the relationship is like recontextualized um, within just like this pure uh, violence. Um, while uh, you know, while also like Mika is like doing violence or threatening violence to Orga. Um, yeah, certainly doing violence by like ha- trying to force him to um, to take on this role, um, and then Orga like reacting violently being like get the fuck off me and like pushing Mika away um so they have this like uh violent uh interaction themselves um i think uh one thought for me here uh this is the moment where like the stuff about Mika's sadism or the like potential the potential of it um made more sense for me specifically in like the risk for mika that like violence and killing becomes like psychologically conflated with like the pleasure or like the liberation of seizing agency um and like this larger movement uh, or this larger ambition that they have of like getting to the place where they belong. Um, this like liberatory idea um, becomes so like conflated with the violence um, that like, this is where the sadism like becomes possible that if yeah. like this conflation happens. Well, and I think also in this, in this scene, there's a question of, um, is this is this not even a risk anymore? Ha, is Mika actually just truly uh, like isn't it, uh, conflation hasn't even really happened? But that that truly what Mika wants is just to do violence and to kill, and um, yeah, that that Orga is needed as a thing that will guide that towards uh, violence and killing. That it is. Um, that will like, be like liberatory or that will hopefully like produce positive changes for people who are oppressed or whatever. Um, that like there, there is a, an onus on Orga to direct Mika's like violent energies towards yeah, something like the that will hopefully be yeah, productive rather than just a purely destructive force. Yeah. Like, Oh, oh yeah. Like in lieu of Orga, like, he's just going to kill uh, or like may, or perhaps like there is that impulse there. He has like this murderous impulse and he needs Orga to, um, you know, yeah. Yeah. To, to, to rein it, to direct it. So he doesn't just like murder <laughs> uh, like innocent people. 
Yeah. Well, and this is jumping ahead a little bit too, but uh, after this, we're going to see this shift. Like uh, we get this moment of interiority from Mikazuki where he talks about, um, you know, before this, I didn't really think about who are my enemies and who are my allies. I just killed whoever was in the way. Mm-hmm. And now I I realize who my enemy is. It's whoever's in the way. <laughs> Uh, and it's like not that yeah. much of a change has actually happened um in that but but there is like a, a shift in perspective that is happening um, yeah so there's also like the other element of this is that I expect that we'll actually know more about um Orga and Mika's like initial meeting and and all all of that like their childhood. Um, but it, it does appear that like that first killing that Mika does, um, like his initiation into violence is like facilitated in some way by Orga. Um, again, I don't know for sure, but it appears that it's like directed or like urged on or, or something. Um, and so like, we also have this this other direction where like okay yeah Mika has this relationship to violence now um and is like violently or perhaps violently um forcing Orga to like stay in this role that sustains it or perpetuates it um but then yeah. we also have like Orga you know Orga's culpability in uh oh potential culpability in like Mika having this relationship to violence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is incredibly like rich <laughs> and uh, complicated. Um, but yeah, so we have all that. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, do you, do you want to do your little Moby bit Moby Dick part? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and th- I don't know if you wanted to comment if you also felt like this was a sexualized scene um, or had sexual tension. Um, I did. Yeah, I uh, mean, I did make the joke about uh, topping from the bottom. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, then we'll uh, we'll let that be the the summary. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, all of this to say uh, that yeah, Mika is secretly topping from the bottom all along. Yeah. <laughs> um. Along with this, you asked me, I think two episodes ago about Moby Dick. Yeah. Um, it occurred to me, uh, one, one thing that, that occurred to me is, um, there's a word that Melville uses in Moby Dick. It's very important. Um, monomania. Uh, he uses it like in relation to Ahab. Um, this is kind of like Ahab's one of his uh his pathology his affliction um whatever um and it's that like obsession the singular focus on like driving forward to this like white whale or to this goal um but it's also like violent um and it's all consuming uh and i think we get questions this starts to be to be raised uh in this um 
series of episodes yeah with like uh specifically around so this could apply to orga um biscuits beef with orga is specifically this <laughs> yeah. um like we could characterize orga's like drive to go forward as a monomania um and the same with like uh mika uh this like yeah. singular fixation on like uh driving forward um it is and then we also have like tekadon uh yeah. so tekadon is the flower that never wilts um but well and we it, we get the uh reasoning of revenge but i forget who it is uh but i think it's like a conversation between meribit and yukinojo uh where it's sort of said that like even revenge is kind of a uh reason after the fact for yep. this yeah this monomania that tekadon has to like continue to drive forward yeah and it, it's um yeah so um there's your Moby Dick tie-in. <clears throat> it's like the the monomania. Um, I think it starts to emerge here as like a, a tension, um, and uh, another like nuance in our understanding of like Orga, Mika, and Tekadon that is uh, that is like troubling. Yeah. Um, where like. You know, again, Tekadon is like the steel flower. It never wilts, but it also like, because it's steel, it can never change shape. Um, So it like, it's fixed. <laughs> it is what it is, right? Yeah. And this also um, specifically by the show gets like tied into this idea because um, after Biscuit dies um, and after, I think it's at the end of 22 where um, Orga is like, you know, Biscuit, you, you always thought that like, Tekadon, the flower that never wilts. So it was kind of like a stupid, <laughs> a stupid yeah. symbol or like a stupid metaphor. Um, but also like, this is what we are in some ways. So, yeah. Um, and then the, the one thing I would attach to this is, so yeah, so there's a level where this is basically, um, I, I'll just say it like simplistically, uh, where this is like, oh, okay, this could be bad. <laughs> um, like for Tekadon, uh, that, you know, that this, this drive might actually not be, um, perfectly good. Uh, but then I think we also have the question of like, is that what it takes to break through? Like, we're also seeing just like the power of this regime and this hegemony that they're facing. Um, which is like beyond, yeah, it's Gallarhorn, but it's beyond that. Um, and it's so like powerful and complex. Um, and so I think there's also like the whole monomania question is deepened by like, okay, but yeah, is this necessary? Is that the only yeah. thing that can actually like break this? Um, um, should we move on to the next three episodes? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so episode 23, the final lie. Uh, Carta, after having beaten, uh, pff, been beaten, um, but she wishes that she beat yeah. Mizuki. Sadly, Carta has never beaten anyone. I wish she got one yeah. win. I wish she got one win. I like her enough that I wanted her to get one win against somebody. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, I don't think she's. I mean, I guess it. she killed Biscuit, but that doesn't feel like a win. <laughs> no, really, that, yeah. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it doesn't appear that she that anyone else thinks it's a win. That was more either. of a cheap shot than anything, <laughs> for sure. Um, so Carta uh, seeks redemption in front of Isnario uh, for failing to capture Machinai, Uh and he gives her one last chance after informing her of Tekadon's current whereabouts. Uh, and informs her that McGillis will provide assistance to her. Um, he also is like shaming her for, for failing and all that. Yeah. Um, on her way out, Carter runs into McGillis uh, and the two start discussing things before he um, references the history between the two of them. Um, he's just like laying it on thick being like, Oh, Carter, you know, I've always looked up to you. Um, you were always noble to me and like you treated me equally, even though I was, a, um, you know, adopted son and like, Ill- not truly a Fareed, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and she's like very moved by this because she like loves McGillis. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, our heroes are aboard the train in Anchorage, uh, riding out to Edmonton, reflecting on what's come before and anticipating the future. Um, after Orga runs an inspection of their weapon stock, uh, Meribit tries to, she starts trying to talk to him about like not letting the youngest of Tekadon's crew into battle, um, because it, it's becoming apparent that, um, all of the, the young ones are going to, uh, or a good amount of them are going to have to actually fight. Yeah. They're wearing a bunch of mobile suits. I think this is when we learn or a bunch of mobile workers. I think this is when we learn that, uh, the Ahab reactors can't go into, uh, cities. Yep, um, you're exactly right. Yeah, and so they're gonna. They have like a large number of mobile workers, and um, you know, basically, uh, all hands, uh, all soldiers will need to to be in one helping out for this final yeah. push. Um, so Maribit's kind of like, you know, the children shouldn't fight, etc. Um, and then I think it's Ride and Yamagi. Um, yeah, I might be wrong, but two of the like younger, I feel like at kids, least ride. Yeah. But it is like younger yeah. kids. They like show, they show up behind her and they're basically like, stay out of it. You're wrong. Like we, we want to fight. Um, Gileo, uh, be- meanwhile, Gileo is called into, um, a chamber, uh, housing a mobile suit that contains none other than Ayn in the cockpit. Um, now we learn, um, after many episodes of like trying to understand how the uh, Alaya uh, Vignana implants that we have seen previously could possibly save Ian's life, um, we now learn that it's not exactly the same thing that Megillus uh, has been talking about. Um, they basically have like they've moved Ian's tank to the. Um, to the like cockpit of this um, giant Gundam, uh, we see on like the the graphical uh, we see this like graphical representation um, that uh, Galileo is looking at, and it's like it's just like the upper Ayn's upper body in there. Yeah, um, and it's not even like his whole upper body. He's yeah, it's he's like basically torso like, and head, basically. Yeah. Um, 
So they have like full on like RoboCop rebooted uh Ayn into this Gundam. Yeah, into into a, essentially especially some of the first shots that you get when it shows up in the, the field. Later when it's fighting with um Barbados, it doesn't seem quite as big. But like when it first shows up, it's big uh psycho gundam vibes. This is oh, the yeah. psycho gundam. Um, it's like the same color scheme. Uh, it is just this massive, um, you know, even compared to, to Barbados, it's like wider and stuff. It has like these huge shoulder pauldrons and things. Um, and it's definitely bigger than the other grazes we've seen. Um, the, this mobile suit is called graze Ein, which is just graze being like one of the basic names for, uh, Gallaghern mobile suits. And then obviously Ein's name, um, pointing to just like the fusion that's happened here. Yeah. Um so uh you know this is revealed. Um at Tekadon, Mika talks to Orga about his own conversation with Biscuit on the beach before the final battle. Um and basically told him that uh Biscuit had decided that, you know, he wasn't gonna quit Tekadon. Um and that uh, you know, everyone is gonna stay together like Tekadon needs to stay together until the end. Um and you know, it's kind of like consoling uh Orga with, with this. Yeah. Uh, and then and I then... put a, a note in here. Uh right after the scene, the so the the episode titles show up sort of like as the eye catch in the middle of the episode. Uh the episode title shows up and it says the final lie. Yeah. Uh could be some significance there. Yeah. Um so uh uh, eventually, um, the, the train is rolling along, and Tekadon picks up an Ahab signal. Um, we soon find out it belongs to Carta and two of her underlings. Um, so she, you know, she lands. They stop the train, uh, and she basically um, she issues an ultimatum. Uh, the two parties will engage in a formal three-on-three duel. Um, here is the terms: uh, yada yada yada, and you have thirty minutes to choose your best fighters. Um, and Mika is like, uh, why are you all standing outside of your mobile suits right now? And basically just like charges them immediately and slaughters the, um, Carta's two underlings, um, completely disregarding the, you know, formality of the, uh, (laughs) of Carta's request, um, Mika's done one of these duels already. He doesn't need to do another. Yeah. Um, uh, Carta manages to like uh, get her suit going and starts trying to fight Mika. Um, but it's pretty clear she just has no chance. Um, yeah. And Mika's really like um, just progressively like ripping her apart. Um, battering her suit, ripping it apart. Like, say, um, a, a wolf devouring a helpless animal. Yeah. Um, and I think there is, like, a the, the degree to which this is prolonged. Um, we don't get anything, any other evidence beyond this. Um, but it feels like uh, torture. Yeah. Um, so, uh, while this is happening, the other members of, the, of Tekanon, like, specifically, we see a lot of the children... Um, they're standing in the snow outside the train, watching the fight eagerly. Um, and Meribit is like, you know, 
oh, you need to get inside because there's a battle that's dangerous. Um, but she really like is disturbed by, by them watching it. Um, and, you know, concerned for their safety as well. Um, but they refuse. Um, they tell her that they, they need, they uh, want to see their enemy and see like Mikazuki get revenge. Um, the fight, if we have not suggested this already, uh, it's a bloodbath. Um, Mika eventually has Cardo like pinned to the ground. Um, her body has been like damaged inside the cockpit from all of the, the blows. Um, so she is like bleeding profusely. Um, the cockpit's filling with water from the, um, melting like, snow, presumably and yeah, you the, know, holes. The snow is melting because they're like, uh, the heat of, of the combat is just like instantly melting all of this snow. Um, Mika's, uh, is about to stab Carta in her cockpit with a shard of her own mobile suit sword. Uh, but the fight is interrupted by Galio's sudden arrival. Um, Galio's kind of like fending off Mika's attacks. Um, he recovers Carta, uh, and, and is like retreating. Um, and Orga says, yeah, Mika, like we actually do need, <laughs> we actually do need to get to Edmonton. Um, so let's just, Keep going. Yeah. Um, Gileo is like, uh, you know, devastated. Um, we're we're gonna get more about understanding the significance of of their relationship to one another. Um, but Gileo does care deeply about Carta. Um, and uh, you know, she's like on the verge of death. Um, so kind of like disoriented. Um, crying out for McGillis, like she thinks McGillis is Gileo, um, and uh, Gileo is like, you know, um, devastated by this, um, but like allows her to believe it's that he's McGillis, um, and is like, oh, just relax, get some rest, uh, and and she dies um, from her from her wounds, uh, and the episode ends with the uh, cruise train. Uh, Tekanon's train finally arriving at their destination in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, also, is this our first glimpse of... Um, so this is still Gundam Kimaris, but I think it, this is the Gundam Kimaris Trooper, which is the... I don't know if it's just like a modification of the, the, hoverboard. the basic. Uh, but like it, it folds out to have like four legs and is, you know, designed for um, ground combat in the way it's that... It's very, very armored core yeah um the other one that i i think we've seen um is the the gundam kimaris vidar which is the one that's for space combat and has like uh more shielding around the top and legs that are are mostly just like kind of thruster parts there's like you can kind of land on something but um you know it's clearly more designed for space combat yeah um yeah, especially the the trooper form, this ground one, further emphasizes this like uh, knight with a lance on a steed vibe, for sure. Um, and it's like kind of uh, centaur shape. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it is. A, it's a cool Gundam for sure. Yeah. Uh, again, I I like the mobile suits in this, so I'm calling out some of the specific ones that uh, I enjoy. So, um, anyway, episode twenty four. 
a future reward. Um, there's a not a huge time skip, um, but there, there's a little bit of one here. Uh, it's like a, a few days later, um, they've gotten to Edmonton, and uh, we open on like field hospital work. There, there's a large number of the you know young boys of Tekadon in uh, hospital beds. Um, Atra is doing, and I think Kudelia. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Kudelia at this yeah, point Kudelia's is also doing there. some some field hospital. Uh, by the way, there's there's another Gundam that we'll do at some point that has some great field hospital scenes. Um, but we get a little bit here. Um, I would say these scenes aren't quite as good. There's like an entire field hospital episode. <laughs> so, um, is this in turn A? Yeah, yeah. Uh, turn Tomino, just, okay. that yeah, that's that's the kind of shit Tomino would do. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, during the scene, we learn that Gatlahern has been engaging Tekadon on the borders outside Edmonton for three days now. Um, and it is the, the morning of the election, um, and they are trying to prevent Makanai and also Kudelia, um, sort of relatedly, from entering the city for the election. Uh, it's also noted that uh, this is, despite the fact that Gatlahern is supposed to uh, or is not supposed to interfere in uh, internal sort of affairs like this. Um, so uh, the election's going to take place in the afternoon. And um, as the battle, there, there's some like battle raging. And then there's like this moment of a lull and everyone's like, like Mikazuku's just like, ah, oh, time for a snack. And everyone's like, how can you eat <laughs> right now? <laughs> We've just been like fighting for hours. Um but uh, Tekadon's clearly pushed their limits. Um, and uh, since they can't bring the, the Ahab reactors into the, the city, um, we get a little bit more that it will somehow disrupt infrastructure. We'll actually see this happen later. Um, but uh, because of this, um, Tekadon and Yatlahern sort of along the, the border of the city are facing off in the mobile workers. Um, and then there's sort of the, this mobile suit skirmish that's happening a little bit more outside the city. Uh, presumably, um, they don't fully explain this, but I'm assuming that like they're trying to prevent mobile suits from coming in and trying to, from the other side, like pin. Yeah. They're covering um, the rear, uh, yeah. the rear that, it, at, um, that's stated at some point. Yeah. Um, and so Tekadon is like, we, we basically have to do a, a last ditch effort to uh, breach the, the blockades and, and get in. Um, and, uh, you know, Orga is, is uh, not nearly as filled with doubts, but um, it is still a little bit kind of hesitating, I think. Um, we're not sure what to do. And, and Mika comes and says, uh, you know, I continue to place my bets on you, Orga. Uh, and so please place your bet on me, place your bet on Tekadon. Um, and inspired by this, Orga gives the speech saying that they're not giving their lives in vain. It's, they don't just have purely disposable lives. They have lives that they, uh, you know, are using for something. Um, and the more that they bet their lives, the more they're able to win. Uh, we get this like betting metaphor coming even more right now. Um, tying into this, like, these questions of risk. Yeah. Uh, and also they, they, I think, uh, in a way that we haven't quite as much, cause we, we stepped a little bit away from like Tewaz and, um, the turbines, but, uh, this moment in particular made me think of, uh, Yakuza, like that term for the organized crime in Japan 
is uh, a reference to a losing hand at a, a card game. Um, Interesting. Like, and it's specifically being that like Yakuza are people who have been dealt a losing hand in life and all they can do is do this. Uh, mm. So I think also this like specifically tying it into betting kind of reminded me of um, there is, I think sometimes a Yakuza tone to some of the stuff that happens in, in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of came back up here in a way that it's been a little bit more dormant, I think. Um, but uh Maribet continues to be terrified by this, <coughs> um, is terrified by Tekadon's willingness to die. <clears throat> this is where we get that exchange where she's saying, this isn't family, this is wrong. An old man, Yukino Joe, agrees, uh, but seems more resigned um, about attempting to stop it. Doesn't seem to yeah. think that, you know. I, I think Yukino Joe, in his conversation with Biscuit and also here, is basically like subtly... Um, indicating that like he also believes that uh like this is worthwhile and like this is the only thing they can do yeah um but like he understands the like horror of it um but is like in agreement (laughs) is how i would summarize his position yeah the the again the vibe that i get from him um and a lot of his stuff is a little bit more subdued or getting just from conversations that he's having and reactions that he's having, but that he, he recognizes more so than I think Maribit that like, what else are they going to do? Like, (laughs) what are these boys going to do? Like, we can't stop them because what, what other option is there for them? Um, And so this is, this is wrong, but this is not, it's not wrong that they are making this choice. It is wrong that they are being given this choice as the only viable choice. Um, So um, anyway, we we learn in this that uh, Tekadon's plan is to basically be decoys, um, to to do a a really concerted effort against Gatlahern. A suicide Um, attack with the child soldiers. Yeah. That's the horrifying sentence that that we get. and uh, hopefully put enough pressure that there will be some forces that will move from some of the other areas to try and support the, the current Gatlaran forces. And they can use that opening to uh, slip in. Um, I, fr- I think it's basically just like one mobile worker that uh, Orga is in. And then there's like a truck that's being driven by Atra um, yeah. with Kudelia and Makanai and I forget if there's anybody else in in the truck with them, but um, yeah, they're like um, the they're concentrating all of their mobile workers on like the bridge, the central bridge, and then Gatlinburn yeah. is like pulling onto the all of their they're centralizing their units, and then they're like trying to flank across the like dry riverbed while Gatlinburn yeah. is distracted. Yeah, um, and uh, we get this moment of uh, Kudelia like is surprised and sort of hesitant to have Atra drive. And she's like, all the other soldiers are, are involved in piloting these, um, <laughs> uh, like mobile workers, um, or are currently in the hospital. I'm like basically the only one who can do it. Um, and also I've decided that my revolution is to protect you. Um, so, uh, just, Further fodder for me supporting the uh, it's not just these two girls having a relationship with Mika, but uh, they love each other. 
Yeah. Uh, Atra, we're, especially. We're, we're getting, we're getting a lot on that. We also get, um, like Atra feeding Cudelia. There's like yeah. a specific scene of like Atra going out of her way to like bring Cudelia food like she does for Mika. Yeah. Um, Which so we also like, got the, the time previously where then Mika showed up being like, you forgot to bring the food that you were going to give to Cudelia. Yeah. Um, which again, within anime tropes, the pre- preparing a bento box and taking it to a person is uh, often tied to like romantic interest. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so Tekadon begins their final push. Uh, this is a suicide mission. So obviously many are injured and killed. Um, and things also escalate when the Grey's Ein appears um, and pretty quickly, uh, you know, in, in a way where in the moment you, you are left wondering if they're dead or not. Um, yeah, I, I thought they were dead. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I thought 100% they were dead. Because you get shots in the cockpit of all of them like uh, bloody, you know, in, in their mobile suits. Uh, but pretty yeah, quickly is... dispatches of Ozzy, Lofter, and Sheena. Yeah, this is like Ava where this is the, the Ava moment where the like creature comes in and just like brutally kills a bunch, you know a bunch of people yeah um or like tear you know tears them apart just like summarily yeah um and so uh also some of this is uh guy leo has basically been uh keeping the pressure on mikazuki to prevent him from sort of interfering while this is happening um and uh, we get the scene of uh, Ayn, like, basically holding Shino's um, cockpit, like, ready to crush it in, in his hand, like the Ava Unit 1 crushing the, you know... Uh, unit 3. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, is it... Yeah, it's Unit 3. Yeah, I think. It's, it's like 3 or 4. I forget. You yeah. might skip a number. Uh, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Whatever. Um but yeah, it, it's that moment of like literally about to like crush the cockpit in its hand. Um, and uh, the, you know, the cockpit's like partially open and over the comms, there's uh, the, I think it's Orca being like, you know, we've made it into the city, um, you know, with Kudalia and uh, Mach and I, uh, and Ayn's like, well, I, I'm going to leave here cause I need to go stop that. Oh, um, Kronk didn't want that either. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ayn has also been uh, uh, monomaniacal uh, throughout. The, yeah, uh, especially here. Um, and so Ayn does this thing that they've been trying not to do, uh, and that we've also got like uh, Gatlahern doesn't really want to move a, a mobile suit with a Ahab reactor into the city um, because it, it's bad PR. You you sh- like shut everything down. Um, and so uh, Ayn moves into the city to try to stop Kudalia. And we just see like all of the lights going down, uh, communication systems go down. So no longer can uh, Orga communicate with Tekadon. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, basically like very quickly moves in, overturns the truck uh, that Kudalia and Mach and I are in. Um, and Kudela has this moment of just like going out into the street and just like standing arms wide facing um Ayn, the the psycho Gundam directly. Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> um 
And basically, uh, Ayn is about to like bring an axe down on Kudelia. Um, and Atra runs out, risks her life, uh, pushing Kudelia aside. Um, you can really tell that, uh, I wrote these notes, just all the, the misspellings while, uh, watching the thing and not looking uh-huh. down at my keyboard. Um, anyway, uh, risks her life to sort of, you know, push Kudelia out of the way, uh, seemingly would probably also have died here. Um, yeah. but just in the nick of time, Mikazuki flies in, uh, with the Barbados, and clashes with um with Ein, uh with Gray's Ein. I, I always I kept like when I was writing this one wanting to type like uh Ein in the Gray's Ein and I'm like so it's just Gray's Ein. That doesn't feel right, does it? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> something the like Ein and the Gray's Ein are just the same thing now. Um yeah. uh, and we, we get this little cutaway that reveals that Mikazuki was able to break away um, because Montag showed up in Grimgare. Uh, again, yeah, Montag. I, yeah. Well, and it is like, he's wearing the mask. It's it's very funny because he's wearing the mask and Gailio's like, is that you? And then he like takes the mask off as if Gailio would be able to see it. It's just yeah. so, I feel like they just have known all along how like corny this stuff the is with Mon Dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're just playing into it right now. I, I laughed, but <laughs> yeah, um, he like comes down and, and get Gailio's like, you're McGillis. And he's like, uh, 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 wait, pulls off <laughs> his mask. Take- <laughs> yeah. I'm McGillis. Yeah. So <laughs> reveals himself and is like, I'm, I'm going to be your dueling partner. Basically. I'm, I'm going to face off against you. Um, you are my fight. Uh, um, so it was like he's been playing everybody. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, maybe we'll learn more about what he's <laughs> what he's been doing and planning in episode twenty five. Tech it on. Uh, while Mikazuki holds back the Gray's Ein, uh, Kudeli and Mak and I escape um, uh, and kind of head towards the Parliament building. Uh, meanwhile, um, Gailio and McGillis finally lay it on the table. Um, this is, uh, this is kind of a complicated, uh, conversation that, that we'll talk about, uh, in a minute, but, um, basically Gailio is like in total disbelief. He struggles with his betrayal at the hands of McGillis. We'll say that. Yeah. Um, McGillis is like explaining his like worldview and motivations for doing this. Um, and I'll, I'll just defer like to the, the discussion we're going to have after. Yeah. Um, he, uh, like what does become clear is that he's manipulated all of these events, um, in order to, uh, like destabilize Gellerhorn, um, and, uh, like seize power for himself, yeah. uh, in some, in some way that is not quite clear yet. Yeah. Um, uh, and also mentions wanting to like uncover the corruption of Gatlahern, but in a way that uh, sometimes he's talked about this previously, specifically frames it around like his own father. Yeah. Um, McGillis also reveals that like the death of Carta and Gailio is part of his plan um, because uh, they're um, uh, Carta is like the, you know, the last heir of um, the issue family. Uh, and Gailio is the last year of the Bodoin family. 
Um, so if he Carta dies, um, there's no uh, heir uh, for the issues. And then uh, if Gylio dies, then um, as the husband of Almeria, Gylio's sister, uh, McGillis will, I think he says, like inherit in, in his place. Yeah. Um, so he, he's basically um, gaining this prominent uh, this inheritance and this prominent like position um, amongst these these families. Um, Gylio fights Megillus. He's like enraged. Uh, he's brokenhearted. Um, he's weeping, like telling Megillus that Carta died, calling his name. Um, Carta loved him, uh, and also you know um, that he trusted Megillus with his sister. Um, and, uh, McGillis is just coldly like, um, well, we'll go into it, but he's, uh, he says, I can guarantee your sister's happiness. Um, and the like emotions that you're talking about, like friendship, love, and trust, um, they mean nothing to me. They can't reach me, uh, because I've lived in anger all of my life. Um, and then execute Skylio. Um, and in the final moments, like looking over Gylio, the, um, the, uh, uh, Kimaris, uh, motionless with Gylio dead inside, uh, admits that he did view Gylio as his only friend. Um, um, what anger ha- has Megillus lived with all of his life? We don't get that. I know it. And so I will have to just stay silent uh, on that topic, but <laughs> yeah, you just have to carry, carry it inside you. Yeah. Um, all so my can, this season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, meanwhile, in the city, uh, Gray's Iron is attacking Mikazuki. Um, he's he's ranting about like Mikazuki's sins, um, saying he'll uh, that Mikazuki needs to be punished, um, and alternating kind of between punishment and like repentance. Um, th- these ideas. Yeah, that like in death. Uh, Mikazuki will be freed from his sins. Yeah, and I'll kill all of your comrades as well to like punish you. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, in in the midst of this fight, uh, Grayzine is also talking about like, oh, you know, your Alaya Vinyana is uh, inferior to mine um, because because uh, it's like not, um, you know, it's only a, this partial integration. Um, and Mika, uh, understanding this surprisingly quickly, um, is like, okay, Barbados, like, uh, give me everything you have. Um, so, uh, we have another like moment of like Mika having this bodily reaction, uh, this violent bodily reaction to the, um, increased like, uh, um, interface. Uh, but, um, it is successful. Uh, Barbados just like starts moving with this unbelievable speed. Um, disarms Ayn. Um, and Mika is like, no, this still isn't enough. Um, he's bleeding from the eye. Uh, his arm is like uh, spasming, but he's like, I need more, more. Um, we cut away to the, par- to the parliament building where they're attempting to hold the election. Uh, and Machinai appears at the last moment. Uh, when he's asked to speak, he gives the floor to Kudelia, uh, and Kudelia um, 
talks in like talks about Gallowhorn's interference with the legal proceedings, um, which is significant because this ties into um, what McGillis is trying to expose as well. Um, basically, that Gallowhorn is um, that Henri Fleurs is a puppet of Gallowhorn, uh, and uh, Gallowhorn, in spite of maintaining uh, this public political stance of like non-interference um that their reputation seems to uh hinge on um they actually are doing all of this like uh they are interfering with the um governments of these um nations or unions uh so kudalia like just blows the lid off of this uh completely and uh then starts speaking about the inequality throughout this colonial regime uh, which I'm sure all of the politicians care deeply about. Yeah. And are, are moved to change. They will definitely uh, choose hope, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so Kudelia um, implores the officials to choose to correct the equality, to correct the inequalities and to choose uh, hope um, for the population of their colonial regime. Um. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, with Kudelia and Machinai at Parliament and communication lines restored, um, Orga finally gives the order that he's wanted to give for so long. Uh, everyone, the mission is accomplished. Just GTFO, basically. Um, yeah, don't die, stay alive. Yeah, don't die, stay alive, GTFO. Um, uh, cut back to Mika and Ayn. Um, Mika has... Uh, unlocked like you know the next level of barbados yeah um and is able to cut through armor and frame with the same stroke his power Um, levels are over nine thousand. yeah yeah he's he's over nine thousand, um and he just like completely dismembers uh and uh defeats and kills gray zine yeah this is the thing that um had kind of been shown but not explicitly and i think is part of the the like brutal death of um carta is showing that like you know the stuff that we've learned about the uh the armor as well that like the armor has to be broken off first and then you can actually attack the frame and so part of what's so like shocking about what he's able to do right now is that he just like cuts straight through it's just yeah. uh goes to the armor and the th- the frame at the same time um um yeah, this is not any this is like unlike anything that we've seen so yeah. far. Um Machinai wins re-election. Uh we see him signing a, an agreement or reviewing an agreement with Kudelia. Uh at this point it's just a draft, but it seems like it's gonna go through smoothly. Yeah. Um around this like half metal rates for Mars. Um Standing in the, uh, meanwhile, standing in the wreckage of the Grey's Eye, uh, Mika asks Orga if this is a place they really belong, and Orga surprisingly says, "Yes, it's one of them." Um, at Gallarhorn, uh, specifically in uh, Isnario's office, Megillus asks his father to stand down, given the possible prison sentence. Um, it seems like he's been exiled by the the higher reps. Yeah. Um, and he's like. Oh yeah, you should just accept this exile because it's going to be bad if you, you know, 
if you don't. Yeah. If you don't, then we'll we'll potentially lose our line. But if you stand down, then I can take over and preserve our line. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, Isnario, to his credit, has bas- ha- has figured out seemingly that Megillus orchestrated uh, this turn of events. Um, and uh, we also see um, Megillus comforting Elmeria over the death of her brother. Um, obviously not revealing that he was the killer. Um, yeah, it all worked out pretty well for um, for for Megillus here. Um, Tekadon reflects on their losses uh, while celebrating their win, and we see that Sheena, Laughter, and Ozzy actually survived, um, which was surprising to me when I when I was watching. Um, Naze talks to Orga about what it means to be a leader. Um, Orga is like. He's now trying to cope with what just happened um, vis-a-vis the suicide attack. Um, and Naze is like basically comforting him and like reaffirming him, him in the decision he made. Um, Atra checks in on Mikazuki uh, and we find out that Mika has lost the use of his right eye and right hand, except when connected to Barbados. Um, so that the kind of bodily like trauma that we were seeing um, in the cockpit, uh, he, he is like disabled now. Um, he says that the bracelet from Atra protected his left hand. Um, and Kudeli and Atra both comfort Mikazuki despite his attempts to play down the uh, his injuries. Um, so kind of a reversal of the, um, uh, or an inversion of. Um, Mikazuki comforting them in earlier yeah. episodes. Uh, and in the final moments, Orga and Mika uh, pledge to return home to Mars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Um, heavy, heavy episodes. Um, but these ones were, I think these are some of the best episodes in the series so far. Yeah. Um, I still think probably my, my single favorite episode is 13. Um, I just think it's a very good episode at the end of like a, a pretty good arc. Um, but in terms of like run of episodes, I think, um, these last couple are really good. Yeah. Um, um all the, all the stuff with Grayzine, um, like all the build up there coming to, to roost, um, with that, that fight, uh, I, I think it like earns the allusion to the psycho Gundam here. Um, yeah, I agree. I didn't see it. I didn't anticipate like the direction that the exact direction it went in. Um, I thought it was just going to be like, Oh yeah. You know, they give him the alive and Yana and then it's like, and then he just looks like Mikazuki or whatever. Um, I didn't expect them to, to. I didn't expect it to go like full Psycho Gundam, <laughs> um, but it's what happens is very interesting. Yeah, um, well, and I think it's significant for a lot of the tensions that we're talking about with Mikazuki. That absolutely. like, um, Gray's Ein is a pushing of that to this like further integration of just like the, the only thing that Ayn can be now is like an agent of violence. Yeah. Um, a weapon. Yeah. 
And, and Mikazuki is already in that direction. And also in order to defeat uh, Ayn has to take on even more of that in a, in a way that, um, you know, it, it is specifically noted that like when he connects with Barbados, he then regains use of his hand and his eye. Um, but that outside of that machine, he is also like in some way losing part of himself. Um, in the way that like I just never could lose it, but it, it already opens with the possibility by just connecting so much with Barbados could Mikazuki reach a point where in a different way than Evangelion, but is just forever stuck in the machine. Um, yeah. Yeah, cannot a, be separated. Absolutely. It's like a, it's a mirror. Um, it's another yeah. one of these like mirroring moments where um, it's revealing something that like currently exists with Mika and then like the possibility this like warning of like the consequence. Um, the other thing that, that I would add to that is um, I like at this point, I is like in this state of like derangement um, where he's like, you know, he, he's ranting um, about like, you know, revenge um purity sin like um but but he's like there is a sadism to ein in these episodes um that like was not present before um or that yeah. i didn't like perceive before there's a sadism about him now um and there's like a derangement about him where that i think goes along with the fact that like it's not that it's not in and of itself that he's like merged with the machine in this like extreme way. It's that like the context of that merging is like him becoming like fully instrumentalized and like being reduced, um, which has happened like gradually with him. Um, but now it's like, just uh, like, fully forced that he is like um his humanity is like like stripped away um and he's reduced to the like instrumentalized um and so we get this with like you know he he's like ranting uh about like purity and sin um which is like this very simplified um form or like interpretation of Gallerhorn's like moral um like propaganda um so he's simultaneously like he's recapitulating all of this like Gallerhorn morality in this like deranged way um but really we see like as the battle goes on he's just like overwhelmed by like violence and rage and like this desire for revenge um, yeah, where he's like, oh, I'm going to kill all of your comrades. Like, that's kind of where he ends up is like, I'm just going to kill all of your comrades um, to, like, punish you. Um, and I'm going to, like, you know, kill you as well, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, um, yeah, like you said, this is, like, tying into Mika, um, this, like, question of Mika's sadism. Like, it's another vision of, like, 
okay, well, not only um, this, like, concern with Mika becoming uh, instrumentalized in a way that's, like, reducing his humanity um, or stripping it, um, but then also, like, his sadism um, or, like, potential sadism or whatever um just overwhelming him um yeah in like in the way that we see w- with ein um so it's like the yeah this um there's like different aspects that uh of mirroring uh as well yeah um it is a sad end for ein um I think Ayn is really like a tragic character um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's an obvious, <laughs> obvious statement considering the events we're describing. Um, but I think last time uh, you like brought out a lot of the stuff that's happening with Ayn um, really well that he's like, um, that he that he's used in in these ways, and that like the Gellerhorn ideology, um, even as he's someone who's like exploited under this regime, um, because he's like co opted into it and like participating in in it, um, he like adopts that, uh, the like re- regime's like ideology in a way that's like really that's self-destructive. Yeah. Um and then it leads to this like conclusion of like oh he's just fully like this is what like the regime has just like fully reduced him into this like weapon. Yeah. Well, and that uh the thing that he's been reduced to is also the the like contradiction that was at the heart of him already um of like the ways that he was buying into the ideology of Gatlahern, but also being more, uh, you know, especially in, in his like, uh, birth and his childhood more aligned with the, the quote unquote space rats. Mm. Um, but perhaps partially, you know, being half Martian, but also not having the body modifications, like gain more access to, um, positions of power and and was able to uh like move up in a way where he was able to buy into the the meritocracy and so you know we we got him in some ways buying into this like oh the body modifications are disgusting but also him him like wondering previously oh if i use the alea vignana system like um would i be able to beat them and the the system in the way that uh in a more abstract and distant way uh has created these situations where um you know these young martian boys are given these operations uh there's yeah. a more like immediate thing that happens to him um and then when he's in that like uh you know full psycho gundam going uh <laughs> you know berserk berserk and and sort of ranting and stuff uh is expressing this like uh very contradictory position about um you know 
uh, punishment and salvation and sin um, and like the the sin of the body, but then also that's like he's doing that as well. Um, there's like a certain amount of like projection that he has about what he himself has done or what has yeah, happened like, to him. Yeah, like internalized like hatred. Yes. Or like um, yeah. Also, we we get a very specific uh, mention where. Uh, I think I forget who it is who like sees footage from afar or whatever of Grayzine and like compares it to a devil. Um, it's like somebody in in Gatlerhorn. Um, but uh, yeah, it's also it's an interesting thing because one of the things I was thinking in terms of like Mick Gillis's perspective, um, yes, and what he's pushing Absolutely. is one he is showing that like by embracing the LA of Ignana system that like. Gallahern is able to access more power. Um, but also seems to be setting it up believing that Mikazuki will win that fight. And I think the reason why he yes. believes it <laughs> is that he knows that you need not just the system. And and the it it seems like I don't know, you know, we we can debate if he knows this for real or what if this is true, but it seems like he believes that the Alea Vignana system there that like Ein has is is more advanced or better than what Mikazuki has. Um, maybe this is because it's just automatically forced to, you are fully integrated with the machine um, in a way that we see that Mikazuki would be able to get there, would be able to push it further. Um, but McGillis also knows that the Gundam is a necessary part of the, the uh, configuration. And despite the fact that I keep referring to the, the uh, psycho Gundam, the gray sign is specifically not a Gundam. Um, you can always tell what is like considered canonically within this world of Gundam because it's going to have a demonology name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going to be one of the demons from, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the book. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. That's okay. Um, we already said it. We identified it before. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking through, I'm looking at the full list of, um, all the mobile suits in the series. I'm going to skip the ones where, uh, I know the Gundam name there. There's one that I forget if it's just a new machine or if something that we've already seen is technically a Gundam and we don't know it yet. I don't remember, but I know there's another Gundam coming that shares a name with a machine that we currently have. And I don't remember how that happens. I think it's just a separate machine that gets named the same thing. But anyway, um, you know, the, there's Barbados is a Gundam, uh, Gusion, uh, yep. specifically at this point, I think, uh, Gusion rebake. I don't think we've, there's a further to, did, I think we actually might see the, the Gusion rebake full city. There's the part where, uh, I forget if it's full city or just rebake, like the, the base one, but, uh, there's like a second set of arms now on the Gusion. I think we've seen that. Yeah. We, we do see that, that in, in one of the fights. There's a part where, uh, I think it's facing off against, um, one of like Carta issues minions and yes. basically just like, uh, you know, grapples with like both hands, one of the suits and then like arms come out with like, you know, grabbing a, a ax from the back. Um, and I forget if that's the, uh, just the rebake or if it's the, the rebake full city. Um, I know there's multiple upgrades that happen to basically anything called a Gundam will have multiple versions because, <laughs> uh, it's more suit. It's more gunpla kits to sell. Um, but, you know, those are the two Gundam that we've seen on the side of um, Tekadon. Um, 
We then, um, for, for Gatlaharn, we've seen the Gundam Kimaris. Um, I, I think that might be it. We've seen like okay. multiple versions of it, but I think it's the same Gundam that just gets developed into different, um, models depending on like, you know, like basically rekitting it for different, uh, combat. Um, and I forget if I'm just like scrolling through and looking at the other ones. That I'm I not going to ask if Grimgeard is a Gundam or not. Um, I don't think Grimgeard is a Gundam. Okay. Um, but we, we will see other Gundams. Okay. There, there are more to come in, uh, believe it or not, there, there are more to come in, uh, um, in mobile suit season Gundam, two, iron blooded orphans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I, I don't think that Grimgear is considered a Gundam. I know that people refer to it as the, the Valkyrie frame. Um, because they're not in this show, I don't think. There might be one in this show that is. But there, there are other, like, in the extended universe, there's been, like, manga and stuff. Um, I think there's, like, a mobile game for Iron-Blooded Orphans. Um, the Grimgaard's, like, a very popular suit, and so there are other ones that have a very similar form. Um, I actually have one waiting to build uh, called the Sigrun. Um, that's from, I think, a manga or something. Uh, but it's very cool. Um, I can actually just send it to you because it's not going to come up. Um, the the picture of it, but um, I like its shield. Here, I'll do the one where the like shield is out and like doing its weird uh, grapples or whatever. I don't actually fully know because I haven't read the manga what it does with these, but um, yeah, this is it. Oh, interesting. Um, oh, that's a good looking uh, Gundam. Yeah, I got it. And. Sigurn is a, a name of a Valkyrie um, and is a name that I use for RPG characters all the time. Uh, it's like one of my favorite or like video game characters. One of my favorite names to give a video game character. Uh, and it's just like a, a cool, weird purple Grimgaard. So <laughs> uh, it is like, really cool. The moment it went up for pre-order, I pre-ordered. I, I don't often pre-order Gundam kits, but I did for this one. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, part of what's missing with Grayzine is the Gundam. Um, but also, I yeah. think part of what what um, McGillis is re- revealing with all that is that, like, Gatlahern built this, built the this like Grays that uh, has the Alevinyana system in it. Um, I don't think it was just him who did that. I no, wrong, yeah, he but, no, yeah. he's like. Uh, when he does the whole like, oh, come to my secret basement with uh, um, Guy Leo in the earlier episodes, he's like, research on the Elia Vinyana system like has continued until recently. Yeah. Um, meaning like Gal- Galahorn has been been developing this stuff. Yeah. Why he has access to it, I like, and no one else knows about it. I don't know, but uh. It does appear that that Gjallarhorn is, like, they're developing it. Yeah. Um, um, but also he I wants think, to prove the limitations of it, I guess, is part of what's happening. Yeah. I think it's, like, yeah, this is a good juncture to, like, unpack some of the stuff with McGillis. Um, yeah. 
so he has this like leading um statement to uh Gailio when he reveals like his betrayal um and it goes something like um Yellowhorn has long advocated that bionic modification is evil uh but they themselves create something that contradicts that um this is all what what you what you've been saying um and to many Ein's Gundam or uh Ein's Grays will seem to be the embodiment of evil um so first thing with that is the demon trope finally makes sense <laughs> um at least this is the moment where it makes sense to me um where it's more than just the kind of broad uh you know the devil gundam a thing that gets said i think about is it about the psycho gundam I yeah i think show it is. is where yeah where that first comes up that first that phrase first comes up um, um we also have stuff with like demons and double zeta right yeah um so but here um i'll see if i can like tie this together um so we talked about um la- like in the last couple of discussions the way that gellerhorn um that its regime like uh creates distinctions um like p- power the power dynamics become like reflected uh officially in how like um like spaces are defined um how different like bodies are defined um so like racial definitions um and then the the way that gellerhorn's regime like defines you know certain spaces as like clean unclean um etc uh and now we get like um another view of this where it's like uh the ideology of gellerhorn um, or like Gallowhorn has attempted to establish like their hegemony by moralizing these like distinctions that they themselves create. Um, so they're trying to like naturalize their ideology um, by basically being like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, cybernetics are evil. Um, and uh, like we who don't have cybernetics are uh, like, the the nobility the people in power who live on earth like we don't have cybernetics um so it's another way of like uh marking themselves as like pure and good um and marking the exploited as like abject and uh in these various ways um and McGillis like understands this um and intends to like completely destroy <laughs> the like this construct um by exposing the like um he he's like overturning the symbolism um by exposing that like Gellohorn is actually responsible for this evil um that they claim to be like um defending against. Yeah. Um so he's like in so doing, like not only revealing the constructed nature of the whole like moral system, um, but also the constructed nature of like the whole regime. Um, and this is kind of what it appears that he's like, once I reveal this, um, it's going to like, uh, overturn the regime, um, because like their, their whole moral authority is going to be gone. Um, and all of their like machinations, 
Um, these are all of the things that like, uh, the, the foundational things that like, uh, support this regime. And once they overturn these like symbolic constructs, um, like the regime is going to like, uh, crumble the, in its existing form. Um, so he's basically like a deconstructionist, <laughs> um, yeah. who is like manipulating symbols, um, to like his, his various ends. Uh, and the fact that Galileo is just like completely like mind blown by this, uh, is, I think it's the show's way of like kind of proving the, uh, proving the point where McGillis yeah. is like explaining all this and Galileo is just like <laughs> completely like he can't even respond. Um, and we've seen Galileo is like very bought into this whole, um, this whole like morality, the, this worldview, um, around like, you know, cybernetics are disgusting and like abject and, um, immoral. Yeah. Um, but then like the other thing that we learned about McGillis is that, um, it's not just, he doesn't just recognize like Gallohorn's ideology for like, it's, you know, constructed arbitrary, uh, nature. Like he just doesn't value <laughs> like anything. Yeah. He like just holds all like concepts and values at this remove, uh, and manipulates them to like, to his own ends. Yeah. Um, so we get him like throughout the previous episodes, you know, he's often talked about like purity of heart, um, honesty, like transparency, um, like all the shit that he says to Carta and Gileo. Um, and also to some degree to, to like Kudelia in, um, you know, when he is appearing as Montag, he's also doing some of this in a, in a different way, but is, you know, uh, is happy to have, oh, Montag is actually McGillis revealed, but then do, uh, insist well, on like yeah. that. It's not. Yeah. Or to insist on that. The reality is that he is Montag, not McGillis, that he, his whole goal is just also overturning Yatlahern. And so he's happy to work with those who are facing against them. Um, you right. know, yeah, it's just the, like the dissimulation, right. Of yeah. like, Oh, my true identity. Like, uh, like, no, Montag is my true name. Um, just like insisting on that, even though like he's been recognized as McGillis, um, and he knows it, like, uh, the fact that like he continues to insist on like dissimulating. Um, and now we just like learn this about McGillis that, um, he is just like, um, he's operating on this level of awareness. Uh, I, I think you brought, you met, brought this out earlier. Um, the, this level of awareness of like all of these symbols that are, um, like, uh, constituting like the regime, um, but also like people's worldviews, um, and how they navigate, like how they orient themselves to the world and how they navigate through it. Um, 
he's aware of these symbols and he's just like um fully like manipulating them uh for like to gain power um for for whatever reason um, yeah again i will have to abstain from uh any speculating or thoughts about uh one why he is uh cold and rejects you know soft emotions because he lives forever in anger um <laughs> as well as like what it, his end goals are uh just because i know season two stuff so yeah well we'll see i mean i'll i'll wrap it up and i'll just say like you know his final pronouncement of like friendship love trust those soft-hearted motivations will not reach me um he also understands like the power of these of these like ideas um and he manipulates those as well uh you know with Galileo and, and Carta um but he doesn't he, he doesn't value them beyond uh like their utility um and in a way this is like uh McGill's worldview is like an inversion of Tekanon um where yes like Tekanon can be brutal and ruthless um but the core like bond consists of these values like a belief in these values yeah um we've talked a lot about like the concept of belief and it's important um for the like the heroes uh in the show yeah mcgillis is like the ultimate non-believer <laughs> uh he's like the inversion of, of this like he doesn't believe in shit he yeah. just believes like in gaining power yeah i mean he rejects you know friendship love trust which are are things that uh we could uh associate with Takanon. um and then also you know he doesn't specifically name family but um from from the interactions that we get with his family uh which obviously includes his father but also Carta who who would be his yep. you know uh adoptive sister or foster sister or whatever the you know proper term for that arrangement is um Gaelio, his uh you know soon to be brother-in-law or um and his friend supposedly. yeah and his friend um you know all of those connections uh, of family both uh i mean i guess he is also adopted so none of it is blood but it is all these like uh and i mean we've gotten contrast of family within gatlerhorn and how you know we can compare that to, to take it on. Uh, yeah. but there's also like a very clear rejection of that. Um, whereas take holds fast to it. Um, even as, uh, you know, the, the pushing of it, um, people like Meribit begin to question what that means. Yeah. And like biscuits death, like it's, it, yeah, it's put under stress, but they, they hold it, hold on to it. Um, I think, uh, the other thing with McGillis is that, um, the other way that he is in like parallel with Tekadon is that, you know, Tekadon's journey is like this battle to, to seize agency, um, from like a restricted or repressed state. Um, and McGillis is also doing this, um, like we see all of the strictures of the Gellerhorn regime for 
people like Carta and McGillis, um, and they are like they they do exist. Um, yeah. and uh, you know, we see Carta like tragically dies, and I think, um, the arc with Carta is like she she isn't able to do this. Um, she's just like used as a pawn. She is like not able to break out of like, um, these ideas of pride and, um, obligation and all of that, um, that, and it, it drives her to, to do this self-destructive, uh, like at no point does she actually have to go chase after, uh, on. Uh, but she does it for, for these reasons. Um, and, uh, it, so I think her agency is like in question. Um, yeah. and then we see McGillis, uh, like doing this ultimate play, <laughs> play for agency. Um, so he and Tekadon are doing the same thing in a way. Um, but, uh, McGillis is doing it like it, it he's not doing it for the freedom of like his comrades or his like class or whatever. Um, we don't really know why he's doing it, but we know that it's for power and control and probably some sort of revenge. Um, so, um, yeah, it further positioning McGillis as like, uh, the like symbolic antagonist, I, I would say, um, or, or one of them just in terms of like what he represents, um, like the bad version of, uh, of Tekadon. Um, yeah. Or like the inversion. Um, yeah. And in the, in the ways that they are, uh, in many ways aligned. Um, but I, perhaps the, the biggest distinction is, um, McGillis's like, solitary nature um mm, yeah. versus Tekadon, which it is uh far more communal um but there there's also i think like still the you know a, as like orga becomes more of the leader what is the and is making these plays like this uh you know suicide attack the suicide mission and stuff um you know, there, there's also these risks that you could see with like Orga becoming more like this, uh, Mikazuki also becoming more like this in some ways. Although, Kudelia. Uh, yeah, Kudelia as well. Um, although I think the 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 clearer parallel for Mikazuki is um, the yeah Ayn, who is you know fully instrumentalized by McGillis um, in the way that that Mika could be fully instrumentalized by Orga. Yeah. Yes, you want to keep coming in and out, Lem. Where Lem has joined the <laughs> podcast, so um, that's our signal that it's time to wrap up. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've touched the, a lot of the the biggest things here. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the stuff with like um, Carta and Isnario previously as well. Um, I don't know if there's anything like really big to to pull out there. Um, that feels distinct or new. Um, all I would know, add is that, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, you know, maybe the, the slight more emphasis on family, uh, that we're just getting a different 
can, you know, I mentioned this previously, but a different, um, form of family or a different, uh, social role. Um, you know, heirs becomes a really big thing. Uh, yeah. who, who, you know, who takes the power? Um, how do, how do families, uh, distribute and consolidate power? Um, especially as you like reach these noble things. Uh, a lot of what's happening here with, um, Galhern does at times remind me of the sagas that I read for around the long fire. Um, especially as it, uh, goes on the, the consolidation of power between families and things is, um, maybe there's like part a... of, part of what caused the destruction of, uh, you know, the, the Icelandic proto state. Um, so yeah, maybe there is a, a dialogue ha- happening there between IBO and the like Icelandic, you know, history literature yeah. or, or like Scandinavian. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's part of what's, uh, at least being pointed to in the same way that we talk about, uh, you know, even the, the monomania, which might be pulling in as a more direct theme, but there's a lot of sort of, uh, Moby Dick imagery that kind of feels like it's, um, pointing to something that has similar themes. Um, I think that's also happening with the like Norse references with Gatlahern and everything. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think unless you had something else, I think that I think we've covered um, it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the one other, uh, you know, McGillis, there is that, that also like potential for Kudelia, but I guess I also want to call out the, you know, uh, Machinai, um, also to some extent, like McMurdo and Noblesse Gordon, um, are also like potential foils for, for directions that that impulse could go. Um, the as she moves more into this like politician role to what degree does she become someone who just uses um you know revolutionary impulse to achieve goals um in in a more you know in a less uh focused on liberatory or or liberation as a goal way yeah Um, to like using people to gain power yes yeah um but yeah, I think I think that's it. I don't have too much else to say. Uh, I think good that's a show. Good... I I like the show a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good note to end on because I'm guessing that that idea is going to like uh, continue to to develop. So yeah, we'll see. We'll uh, see next time we meet if if we start off and we're like, yeah, it did. It did continue. Yeah. Um, uh, what what's your what's your guess for? This is just me knowing stuff, and I just I just want to ask you the question. Um, one so the one thing I'll reveal next time we'll be back to watch episodes twenty six through thirty two. That's episode one through seven of season two. Um, we are going to get our first time skip. There's another time skip that comes later, uh, but this is like the 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 main time skip that's going to affect a lot of season two. I think it's like two years. So. Uh, okay. some things will have changed. Um, I just want to know, like, where do you think Tekadon will be? Uh, after the two year time skip? Yeah. Hmm. Um, you mean like in terms of physical location or just like to what state they're in? Uh, I guess kind of both. 
less uh, less physical location, but um, and also kind of where where will do you think Tekadon and Cudelia are still going to be like together? Uh no. Okay. Um, I haven't thought about this at all before now, so yeah. I'm I'm now just like guessing on the spot. Uh, do you think that, where do you think, uh, McGillis will be in all of this? Like, do you think we're going to uh, get a Quattro Bedrina situation here? Do you, uh... Or is he just, like, fully mask off, like, I'm in charge of Gellarhorn now? Yeah. Um, I think, no, I think McGillis is, like, still, um... Like a separate player? Still... I think... I think he's in a position of prominence at Gellerhorn, but like still playing angles. Okay. Um, and are there any, are there any characters who are dead or seemingly dead? Who you just want to put down on the table. You think are coming back. Currently dead. That might be coming back. Yeah. You're, you're not about to tell me that Ayn is coming back. I am not saying anything. Okay. Um, but it, is I would I need to be your guess if and I'm not even going to say that anybody is I'm just pointing out like various things that happen sometimes with the time skip second season, um, you know oh I thought the person was dead and now they're back or you know yeah I mean we don't really see Gaileo die, um, we just like it seems like he does, um, so he could be back, yeah. Um, same thing with Ayn. We didn't see Ayn die. Um, I guess either one of those I could see coming back. Um, yeah. But the, so that seems too easy. <laughs> that seems too obvious. So um, I don't know. All right. I guess I'll just have to wait yeah. and see. You wouldn't be doing this if there weren't some significant surprises. So uh, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to like feel out if you have any feelings about any of this stuff where it might I just be going, see, so. I see like, okay, we know that Tekadon is hired to do like something for our brow. Um, so they're doing some function for our brow. Are they still with like Tewaz? Are they still, uh, are they still teamed up with the turbines to some extent? I feel like the turbines have like probably gone their separate ways. They're still like in contact, but turbines are probably off doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, I feel like Tekadon is established because by their association with the government, like they're going to need to be on earth. Um, and Kudalia is like, their immediate like objectives are just going to like diverge at this point. So Kudalia is probably going to be off, like doing something else. Uh, okay. And then I have no fucking clue who comes back from the dead. Yeah. I mean, we already know that Ozzy, Laughter, and uh, Shino do. We already right. saw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It was funny because uh, this this is me revealing one thing. I knew that Laughter didn't die there. Because I remember her being in season two. We will see her again. I'm not okay. going to say yeah. when or how or you know whatever but i expect them to i expect the turbines to come back turbines turbines um, yeah um 
Ozzy is like a minor enough character. Like I, I recently went to uh, Annie list and I like put some of the IBO characters that I like as like favorite characters. Not a lot of people say that they like Ozzy. I like her a lot. I know she's a minor character. She doesn't have a lot of lines. She's not developed in the way that like other members of the turbines are. Um, But I do like her and uh, me even having that affection for her. I was like, wait, does she die here? Like, I I don't I don't know if I remember her dying in the series at all. But also, like, it's not like she comes up that much. I she could just be dead here. Yeah. <laughs> so it she got, looks dead in yeah, that shot. It got me. That shot got me. Um, yeah. I was like, is laughter like upset about it? Because season two, for some reason, I remember even less than season one. So, uh, there's okay, definitely stuff good. I remember, but, uh, there'll be, be a surprise. Yeah. There is one thing that is a very big spoiler and it's like one of the first things they ever knew about IVO. So, <laughs> okay, good. Well, we'll we're going to have a lot of fun. Someday. Yeah. It sounds like we're going to have a lot of fun with season yeah. two. Um, well, as I said, we'll be back to watch episodes 26 through 32, a.k.a. the first seven episodes of season two. Uh, if you have emails for us, if you have immediate corrections for any stupid thing that we said on the podcast, uh, or if you have just questions for when we get around to them on the question bucket, send them into ghost to diversepod at gmail.com. That's ghost to diversepod at gmail.com. Uh, what was that, Connor? Ghost diversepod at gmail.com. Yeah, we said it, it three times. Um, also go to exportaud.io. That's export audio with a period after the odd and before the IO. Um, that's where you go to support the network. Um, you know, general spiel, we're getting late, but, uh, $1, you get early access to a number of podcasts. Uh, so episodes a week early, um, that includes, our podcast, uh, not Ghost Errors, but our other one, Pondering Puton, which by the time you hear this should be done with the bit of uh, vaguely remembering movies. I think I effectively beat that one to death. We'll see. I think I did. I think it's over. Is it over, yeah. Connor? Yeah, it's over. There's no way that, that you will turn around and introduce that bit again. Okay. Um, you also get early access to ornate stairwells, which is a podcast that I do with my friend autumn, where we watch movies and talk about them. Um, we, we are getting back into the swing of things right now when we are recording this, uh, but we will, we will be fully in there, uh, when you hear this, uh, but there is some illness. Um, so that, that affected the release of that podcast. Um, probably by the time you hear this, we have already done our uh bracket episode uh i know that i have already recorded it and i'm just not sure when we're going to release it yet because we want to leave it open for um people to to do the bracket i can actually send it to you connor if you want to put in a prediction it's like a march madness bracket of uh a bunch of movies that we've watched uh either directly on the podcast or that we both watch and kind of talked about in like our our first segment where we just talk about movies we watched that week um so i can remember i can remember a lot of movies while i fill out the bracket so, uh, <laughs> uh, we already recorded that. Um, it was a pretty fun episode. I hope people enjoy it. And it's only going to be for $5 patrons. We're, we're doing that as like a special bonus. So you got to pay up for that one. Um, similarly, $5 gets you exclusive access to pop town funk where Ottoman, uh, their wife, Nora 
roll a random Funko Pop and have to watch something from that media franchise. Um, you also get uh, bonus episodes of Coffee and Comic Books. If you like this podcast, uh, I think you'd really enjoy that one. Uh, sometimes they cover manga, but they cover like a wide gamut of, of comics. It's it's honestly really great for just finding other comics to read. Um, and I, they don't deep dive quite as much as we do, but uh, they still break up like longer series and stuff. Um, it's a good time. Um, We'll just promo that a little bit more. Uh, the last podcast that I'll promo, I've mentioned multiple times in this episode around a long fire. Uh, it is a podcast that I do with M from Abnormal Mapping, and it is on the Abnormal Mapping Network. So if you go to abnormalmapping.com slash longfire, you will uh, find it. Um, we are reading through Icelandic sagas and talking about them. And I would say... Uh, at least 50% of the episode by volume, sometimes more, is after we're done talking about the saga, we just kind of bullshit. And uh, more often than not, that includes talking about Gundam, because I'm just in the process of watching a lot of Gundam. Um, and M does great Gundam project. So, uh, yeah, we, we talk about Gundam pretty regularly on there. So if you like Gundam chat and uh, find some of the, like kind of medieval family politicking stuff uh i think people would enjoy around the long fire um follow the podcast at ghost divers pod on twitter just at ghost divers on podcast you can follow me or i'm co-host co-host <laughs> i'm i'm it is getting ready late. to go to bed yeah uh i'm fox omnia on basically every social media platform where can people find you uh i'm rebelays on uh twitter and co-host um, and that's it. We're done. Bye. Bye. See you uh, next time.
Time dot is up. Okay, let's do seven seconds. Okay. Lucky number seven. Oh yeah. Um, it's sort of like lucky number seven, greatest film ever. <laughs> do you do you uh, have much pre? Getting into the podcast or no, I think I'm good. Okay. Um my my drink check, I'll just do a very quick one. It's pretty basic. Um but I figure I'll get it in. So I, I have water. I have this new top for my water bottle that uh Emily got me. Um it's for I have like two that are from the same company. Um and one of them is like a thermos style, like it's uh I think stainless steel with like a ceramic lining, because like I kinda don't like drinking out of steel stuff. Okay. Very often. Um, I like ceramic in general. I like glass and ceramic for drinking. Um, but it is nice that, cause the other one I have is a glass. Um, and I had to replace it once because, uh, the glass broke. So, um, mm. this one's like a little bit more durable. Um, and also it's usually like when I have both in here, I only have this one right now. Um, I drink the glass one first and then obviously save the thermos cause it stays cool. Um, but Emily got me a new top for it that, uh, so the, the previous one's just like a cap that screws on. It's like a wide mouth. Um, but this one you screw it over the top and then there's like a flip. You the top. Um, like and then you can, you can pop it open and there's just like a little place for drinking. Um, and I've also found that cause often once I start drinking it, I just kind of have the cap off. Like I drink this when I'm at work too. Um, and it starts cooling down faster, but if I take this, uh, if I leave this on, it actually stays pretty cool throughout the whole, the whole, um, like even when I have it open while I'm drinking. So, okay. Um, it's nice. been nice. Um, um, my drink check is, oh, are you done? Oh, I was going to say, I also have, uh, I'm finishing some black tea. Okay. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little tired today. Mm. Um, we went uh, downtown Chicago because our toddler wanted to, to go on a, an adventure the last time we went down for like a very specific thing. Uh, and so we're like, oh, we'll do like a downtown adventure. We just kind of like there's like there's a really cool playground down there. We'll go there. We can like walk around a little bit um, and did not know that it was the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade yeah. in Chicago. 
today. So it uh, ended up being very stressful. Um, did you take the train or did you try to drive down? Uh, we drove down and Emily had already like oh. pre- uh, pre like uh, paid for a garage oh. um, and then like we parked and like we went up in the and the thing that we went up in was in the middle of Millennium Park and they uh-huh. had closed down Millennium Park because of the parade and so like we went out and they're like oh like the park's closed you have to like you know either like go around under there or they then just like let us go out you know like security people like out through the the you know walk over to where the little like uh area was and let us out there but um at least yeah you had and then it was just out. like full of it was just full of like uh you know already drunk people waiting for the parade to start because the, the parade hadn't started yet when we went downtown um some guys in cubs merch as always it's always cubs fans uh, there's some guys who called me a faggot as I was walking. So that was fun. Wow. Um, but yeah. And then we like tried to get all around cause the, the playground is also like kind of in that park area, but it's, uh, it's the, like Maggie Dale daily. Um, and it was open, but we had to like walk, even though it was like, we could just see it. We had to like walk all the way around to the opposite side, uh, through like, the, like, on the street through. Of... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, like, we, when... we went to try and get lunch, and it was just, like, uh, we were just getting it to go, but it was just, like, a mob. And then it was extremely difficult to back get back to our car because we couldn't go in the way that we came out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you had to, like, go through um, the – walk to the entrance of the parking garage and go yeah, in Yeah, and then driving out was obviously a nightmare. Um, and then we got home, and, like, the food that we got was just cold, but it was, like, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, at that point you're just like I'm. I'm thankful I got out alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a tiring experience. So I'm finishing some black tea. Um, I also have a Dr Pepper in here. Uh, currently closed. Like I haven't. I haven't popped the the tab on it. Um, but just in case I need it, in case I feel like I need the extra pick me up. Yep. Um, Reinforcements. Yeah, and then uh, pretty regularly I have to have some like electrolyte stuff. Um, because one of my medications is like a diuretic uh, and I have to stay hydrated because of that. But then also I flush out a lot of stuff. So if I don't do electrolytes then I get like really bad cramps in my feet and stuff. Mm. Um, and so normally I have these little tabs that uh, it like fizzes up like an Alka-Seltzer tab kind yeah, of does. So yeah. you just like put it in a drink and it like sinks to the bottom and then fizzes up and um I, I enjoy all the flavors. Uh, it's not like a sugary one, so it's pretty nice. Um, and usually when I'm podcasting, since I'm talking more, I like having stuff that's a little bubbly. Um, and so I opened up a, a sparkling water because it's supposed to be for 16 ounces of water. This is 16 ounces of sparkling water because it's the, the liquid death that I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was kind of hard because it's the tab is slightly larger than like the mouth of the can. So I did kind of like cram it in you know, like kind of shaving the sides off as I did it. Um, and then did not think about how putting the fizzy Alka-Seltzer style tab, uh, like tablet into an already carbonated drink would just make it instantly start, uh, fizzing up and, uh, yeah, going over. So then I was just like immediately have, you know, putting my mouth over the, the mouth hole and like having it just fizz up into my mouth. So it would just go all over me in here. Uh, that was right before you joined the call. So, (laughs) 
classic. I lo- I love that. Uh, but it tastes uh, good never now. Not funny. Yeah. Okay. Good. So that's my drink check. Um, my drink check is I've got water. Um, it's in a glass. The glass is pretty cool. It's like uh, I don't know if this glass has been featured on our drink checks in the past, but um, it's like got a uh, diamond pattern, um, and it's like it, it's a textural pattern. Um, yeah. So it's uh it's easy to grip and i like that um for uh when it comes time to throw it you know yeah <laughs> uh what you whatever you finish drinking out of it you got to just throw it <laughs> uh what are you the the icelander who i stayed with and went drinking with oh is that is that what they did yeah um i maybe yeah maybe you told uh, me about that and that's and it just that's why i do it now yeah um but i've got water in that glass so once i once i drink that you'll hear the you'll hear me throw it and then i've got um jade cloud green tea uh in my mug yeah you know what mug it is so it doesn't require any additional yeah. elaboration um I've just now like I make sure that I have this mug when, for every ghost divers. I make sure it's like out of the dishwasher if I have to hand yeah. wash it so it's ready I do. Um But yeah, I was also a little tired. I woke up early for the um for the appointment I was telling you about earlier. So Oh yeah. Uh yeah. I I've had I've had a lot of green tea. Let's just say that. Um, but yeah, um, so that's my drink check. I could go on. Uh, I have another tangent about Chicago being very, go, go going to downtown Chicago when it's very crowded, but I'll just bring it up randomly. I have the whole tangent about the story of, um, the Icelander who I went and stayed with and we went drinking and he you know, we were going around to all these bars and he was throwing glasses and stuff. It's a really great story. I'll tell it at some point, but, um, I'll just tell mine in, in the midst of this podcast somewhere. Um, I'll just if you can find an organic way to slip it in. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, well, but the, we, we we'll are let recording the listeners this be the, the judge of that. Yeah. We are recording this the night where we're going to lose an hour due to daylight savings. So, uh, that's part of why we're, we're not, um, goofing off as much as normal yep um because we're both tired and we're gonna lose an hour (laughs) all right i'm gonna start the podcast now let's get to it okay i'm gonna take a a body break real quick okay i'll do the same yeah Uh, i am back Um, okay, I'm back. Let me quick check something. Um, cool. There's one thing I want to note in here. Um, remember exactly what uh, Mika tells Orga Biscuit's last things were to him? That Biscuit had decided that he wasn't going to quit. Um, and that, like, 
they're all like together no matter what, basically. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to point this out. Mm, it, it raised yeah. a question for me in that scene. Um, and I realized it wasn't in this because um, when I was working on some of fixing some of these synopses, pulling off the website, didn't have my book of notes um, to reference. So I didn't remember exactly when it came up. Um, anyway, before we get back to it, one other funny thing. Uh, I just want to reveal now that we've gotten to the end of the first season. Okay. Um, before I watched Iron Blooded Orphans, I didn't know too much about it. I knew it was a Gundam show. I didn't see too much Gundam. I'd watched someone like uh, OEMS team, you know, when I was younger, but had heard good things about it. Uh, but had very little knowledge of exactly what's happening. I'd seen some of the the suits. Um, and I kind of vaguely knew it was about like a, a you know group of uh, child soldiers who, um, you know, try to like form you know they they rebel and stuff like very vague stuff like that. I didn't even yeah. really know what the rebellion looked like. I just knew it was kind of like a oh they like sort of break off and form their own group or whatever. And then it's almost like a the way that I kind of heard it described is like. Um, they're almost like a mercenary group then that, uh, is going around like this, they form their own mercenary group. Um, so, uh, beyond that, uh, I knew the name of the main character, Mikazuki. Um, and I also knew like I'd seen Atra's character design and knew Atra. This is basically all the stuff that I knew (laughs) except one other thing, which was a spoiler for like a, a big thing that happens. And there are many, many times throughout this first season, like season where I was like, wait, is it going to happen now? <laughs> Especially towards uh-huh. the end here. Uh, it did not. It happens in season two. I won't even say what it happens in season two. When we get to it in season two, I will tell you the one other big thing I knew about this series. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, okay, it's, it's just funny because it, it it was such a huge spoiler, um, and it's one of those things that it's like especially funny having this conversation because the very first time I watched through it, like some of the the conversations that we've been having throughout all these episodes, I just knew something, and so I had a like very specific read on things. Um, but mm. it's interesting because I think some of the stuff that we've been talking about that you yourself have just pulled up points towards some of these things. Um, but yeah, I'll reveal it. But I, I wanted to like reveal to you now that there was the spoiler uh, for like a very big thing that I just knew the very first time I watched it. <laughs> and it okay. has like uh, always colored my interpretation of certain things. Um, and so there's been ways that I've like intentionally been trying to not. Uh, myself like not talk about it until you start talking about it and feeling like it's in the right direction so okay Uh, yeah i know it's gonna be Um, very amusing once we once i finally see what this is but uh this will go on the you know the post ed people will know yeah good um anyway shall we get into it yeah 